always was a fighter, like I said. For some reason, I always wanted to fight and prove that I was strong. This confidence that I have that I wish I could put it in a bottle is something I was born with, but I wish that for everyone that they had enough self-love, because I think that's what it really comes down to, is confidence starts with self-love. And you have to love yourself enough to know that you're not going to be perfect, you're going to make mistakes, and that's okay. Like I was just saying a few minutes ago, my father, being as amazing as he is, he wasn't nowhere near perfect. So as a kid, I watched that. I saw his mistakes. I know all the things about him that are like, what? Crazy, you know? But he still is this amazing human being. So I'm like, if he's not perfect, nobody is. You know what I mean? So first you just have to know that because most people are afraid to go after the things they really want to do, to say the things they really feel, to really find their purpose because they're afraid of screwing up. You know, they're afraid of what people are going to say. And it's like, when you don't have that feeling, the possibilities are limitless. That's Layla Ali. This week on the Rich Roll Podcast. The Rich Roll Podcast. Greetings, human dwellers of planet Earth. My name is Rich Roll. I'm your host. This is my podcast. Welcome. My guest today is the great Layla Ali. She is the daughter of late beloved global icon and humanitarian Muhammad Ali. She is the eighth of his nine children. Uh, and Layla is quite the multifaceted talent. She's the most successful female in the history of women's boxing, a four-time undefeated world champion, racking up 24 wins, 21 knockouts, and zero losses over the course of her storied career. Uh, now retired, Layla is a fitness and wellness advocate. She's a TV host, home chef, cookbook author, founder of the Layla Ali lifestyle brand, and a mother of two. She's appeared on everything from Celebrity Apprentice to Dancing with the Stars, as well as Rachel Ray, Dr. Oz, and uh, many other national media outlets. And currently she hosts the Emmy award-winning show, Homemade Simple, which airs every Saturday on the Oprah Winfrey Network. Uh, more on Layla in a sec, but first. Hey everybody, like me, Inside Tracker wants to help you start the new year right. So they're thrilled to help support the Living Proof Challenge the no-cost, science-based habit-building program designed by my well-being wizard brother, Simon Hill, to specifically up-level the most important biomarkers that drive health span, that drive disease prevention, physical fitness, and mental well-being, courtesy of a doable, evidence-based 12-week program elaborated upon in length in my conversation with Simon that dropped January 1. That's RRP804. If you listen to that episode, then you know the program entails comprehensive blood testing at both the commencement and conclusion of the challenge. And nobody handles blood testing better than Inside Tracker, who are graciously encouraging everyone to join the no cost challenge by offering a 25% off discount on Inside Tracker tests. To unlock the discount and learn more about this challenge, visit theproof.com slash living proof. Meditation has been a recurring theme on this podcast, dating back to its beginnings. And in conversation always leads people to asking me about the best way to begin. There are no shortage of modalities of resources and apps available. 
I have experience with many of them, but my mainstay, I have to say, the one that I have found most useful is waking up. It's this unique treasure trove of wisdom that has become so important to my daily routine that the app finds itself right in the dock of my phone for immediate fingertip access. Beyond its robust catalog of daily meditations, it's also this extraordinary library of mindfulness resources that go well beyond the strictures of meditation with courses on stoicism, cognitive behavioral therapy, time management, procrastination, as well as thoughtful conversations with leading scholars on everything from psychedelics to happiness. It really is one of the most worthy investments you can make in yourself. And listeners of the show can get 30 days to try waking up for free. Plus, you'll save $30 on the in-app price. If price is a concern, Waking Up offers the app for free, astonishingly for anyone who can't afford it. You can find the links on their website to get a full scholarship right now. Just go to wakingup.com slash richroll to start your free month today. That's wakingup.com slash richroll. Okay, Layla, Layla Ali. So she was a delight. We talked about a lot of things, uh, what it was like growing up as a daughter of the greatest. We discussed her troubled youth, coming up in essentially a broken home, which most I'm sure would be surprised to hear, uh, getting arrested, going to juvie, and how she began to put the pieces back together her way by opening up a nail salon on her own before she even began boxing. And then how she became this boxing phenom after not having been an athlete at all and not even starting the sport until she was 18. Plus, of course, some unique insight into the man himself, Muhammad Ali, and uh, a bunch of really great takeaways that uh, I think you're really going to relish and enjoy. Layla and I had a lot of fun with this, so uh, without further ado, this is me and Layla Ali. Yeah, you know, podcasting is super fun, but you know, it's a job too. Yeah, and know? I knew going in, I wasn't one of those people who's like, oh, I'm just gonna do it. Like I right. did my research, I knew, but I thought, I'm the type of person, what I feel I need to do, I will do. Right. But then I was just kind of like, for me, with the setup that I had, it wasn't really giving me the return in terms of the audience and right. all the things. And it would it was going to take even more work to build mm -hmm. it. And I was like, mm, I think I'm going to put my energy Well, you're places. doing like a million things. Right. So I was just like, mm, I can't. I can't even keep track of all the things <laughs> you're doing. Like you're on TV. You're do I mean, what what what's like top of mind right now? Like what, I mean, you got the TV show, right? On OWN? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I host the, a show on OWN. I've, I've been hosting since I stopped boxing. You uh -huh. know, I went on Dancing with the Stars. Right. And that was, that, was like, that was a while ago, though. That, that was, was a while like, ago, before I even had kids. Yeah, right. I, I retired in 2007, and then I did that right afterwards. And uh -huh. that was a strategic move, you know, in terms of just opening Making myself to another audience. Right. And How was that? It was crazy. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, it's I, a lot of work, right? Like, the people that do well train really hard, and you almost, I mean, you were like third or something like that, right? Like, everybody you went all the way down to the end. Yeah, everybody trains hard. You uh -huh. have to, in order to just get out there and perform. But I think that... Um, you know, me being an athlete, it wasn't as hard physically as it was for everyone else. For a lot of people, right. it's physically hard. For me, it was more mental because working with a partner, when you're used to just going out there, I'm used to going yeah. to the ring, like, I'm going to win this fight, right. period. It's just me. Yeah, but I had to rely on my partner, dance with the partner. Then sometimes we weren't always getting along, but you don't want uh -huh. to show that on, on <laughs> camera. So it was just like, ah, you know, but I want to get to the end. So, you know, I, I did. So it was, it was worth it. It was fun. How did the boxing... 
experience and training inform how you approach dance? Um, I approach pretty much everything the same way, um, I would say. And it's just like I go, I first have to assess the situation. You know, what's it going to take of me? Because I'm one of those people that feels like I can pretty much do anything uh-huh. that I want to do. So first I had to say, okay, do I really want to do this? You know, I didn't at first. So I was just right. like, uh, I don't want to do this. No. And then I thought about, actually, this could be a really good platform. So I had to get in my strategic mind. And then when I realized, oh, I need to do this, then mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I want to do this. And I assessed how much work I thought it was going to take. And I just kind of put it in, you know, and it's just like, I like to, like for fighting, for example, I know there's an end goal and I know I have, whether it's an eight-week or a 10-week training camp, mm-hmm. for these eight to 10 weeks, I'm going to go hard as hell, you right. know, and then there's an end. So with dancing, I kind of looked at it that way. Okay, how long do I need to do this? You know, this is what's going to come at the end. And then, you know, if it's open-ended, it's, it's like, oh, for yeah. me. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, yeah. <laughs> But I think coming from boxing, it would seem to me there's a lot of, I mean, they're very different, but there's still some similarities. Like it's footwork, it's repetitive motions. It's kind of, you know, fig- like you know there's, a, there's a sort of, da- there's a dance to mm-hmm. boxing as well, right? Like I feel like boxing is probably well-suited for making that kind of switch. No? I mean, when you have to really narrow it down to uh-huh. the, the pros and the cons and what you're bringing into it, you know, because everyone's... C- you know, that that comes from whether you're an actor or a singer or a performer. Like, I can look at the performers and be like, that's not fair. They're performers. Like, right. this is nothing for them. Whereas as a boxer, then someone who was an actress would say, oh, no, but you have the footwork. But it's totally different. Like, right. it's so different. Yeah. Like, I've seen other boxers go on there and they didn't necessarily do as well. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? So it takes so much more than that. Yeah. Why do you think you got to all the way near the end then versus the other boxers? Because I'm No, I'm playing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I always get to the end I like where I the win. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just yeah. joking. I'm just joking. But um, I think um, it was a multitude of things. Um, I think for one, the audience and has to like you. Mm-hmm. The judges, you know, because the audience votes, the judges vote, and you have to do well. So I think that for me, I brought a different energy than most because for one, I'm not the average size. I'm a big girl. Yeah. I'm strong physically. I have a lot of muscle. You know, I'm moving in and out. But I was out there doing my thing. Whereas in the dance world. You know, they're very strict, uh, not for Dance with the Stars, but in the real dance world, it's right. just like, you have to be a certain size, you have to be petite, you have to be shorter than the, the man, you know, uh-huh. all these different things. And I didn't really fit any of that, but I kind of made it my own and came out there and just did my thing. So right. I think that it's really just the feeling that people get when they see you and then they want to get behind you. And it's like, you know, right. that's that. I mean, that's my take on it. I mean, there's like 40 million people that watch that show, right? I, know, I mean, crazy. so that had to be kind of a whirlwind crazy thing. I mean, in terms of like a strategic... Uh, trajectory of saying, okay, I'm I'm leaving boxing and now I want to set myself up for something else. Like, I mean, you certainly, you know, you succeeded in introducing yourself to America in a in a different way. It did was it, did it work? I assume it worked. There yeah, was a fly it, buzzing around. Okay, Sorry right, about that. I'm gonna <laughs> knock him out. No, I'm playing. <laughs> no, it was fun um, because. Uh, when I went into boxing, um, you know, I felt like I had to prove myself. I had to prove that I was tough. I had to prove that I just want to be a fighter. I had to really find my own lane. And I had spent so much time being serious and being, you know, hardcore right. all the time. Every time you saw me, I was talking about knocking somebody out. Now I'm kind of intimidating, unapproachable, kind of like, oh, you know, yeah. that's cool, Steer but stay away. Yeah. So for me, but that's not who I am. That was who mm-hmm. I am in the ring. So I, you know, I was so young too. So now I kind of felt like, you know what, this is going to be fun. I'm going to show different pe- 
people a different side of myself. And I was able to introduce people who didn't even know me or know anything about me. They just knew, okay, Muhammad Ali's daughter, she was a right. boxer, to see me for the first time. So it was just fun. It was a fun transition for me. So Yeah. So now you're doing the TV show, which is kind of like, it's like a home makeover kind of mm-hmm. thing. You help people, you know, figure their shit out. Yeah, basically. right, right, right. right. Like, well, Homemade Simple has been, it's going into its ninth season and there's mm. been different hosts and I'm the host now. And when I became the host, it went from a half hour show to an hour show. And um, we really get more into the stories of the individuals because these are people who are amazing. I mean, like you could have a mom who is single, but she's taken on her sister's kids because her sister passed away, you know, or something like that. And she just is like, I need a place where I can go to relax. So we'll, she'll want her master bedroom made over. So right. I'll come in with a team and, you know, we'll kind of take that that on and do it. But then there's DIY projects and I get in the kitchen and I cook, you know, uh recipes out of my cookbook for right. for life. So that's fun for me. So um, I've hosted a lot of shows, but I really like this show in particular because I get to work with people um, and I get to do the things that I love, you know, cooking and decorating. I'm not the decorator. We have a designer, but I just, yeah. I've always loved it. Yeah. It sounds like fun. Yeah, it is fun. So uh, I just, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I went to um, the premiere of uh, What's My Name. Oh, yeah. Were you there? I was. I figured you probably were. Yeah, you, da- in L.A., downtown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm friends with Billy Gerber, oh. one of the producers on the movie, and he was gracious enough to, to um, give me an invite. And there were so many things about your father that I didn't know that I learned. I mean, it's it's there's a lot. Look, there's so much film on mm-hmm, your dad, mm-hmm. and a lot of documentaries and movies have been made. But this really took it back way back and all this footage of him when he's, and you just realize like, man, he was so young when all of this started. Can you imagine being that young? I can't imagine. I know. His first boxing match, he's like 16, it's on TV, right? And he's almost fully formed at that point. Like you figure, I think there's this conventional wisdom that that all the trash talk kind of started once he got big, but it kind of starts way earlier than that. Yeah, I think that um, you just caught it on camera more when it got big, yeah. but it was always there, you know. Right. Yeah. Um, and I was I was struck by, um, you know, just the the beauty and the elegance with which he lived his life, and you know, I want to get into it a little bit more, but kind of just stepping off of that, um, you know, as as his daughter. Uh, you know, you mentioned earlier, like everybody knows you as his daughter, right? And that's like a that's like a one of the biggest shadows, uh, you know, of all time to have to kind of live in. And I would imagine that there's great things about that, and there's also like a lot of challenges that you probably wish, you know, you could just whisk away. You know, it's crazy because that is I'm definitely always going to be Muhammad Ali's daughter, uh-huh. um, but I don't feel uncomfortable with it. You know, it's like I don't really feel like I'm in his shadow, even though I, to other people, I, pro- I probably, I probably am. Yeah. Um, no, let me say that again. To other people, I am. Yeah. Um, because I've always kind of woken up thinking like, hmm, what's Layla gonna do today? You know, it's not like, hmm, what, I'm Muhammad Ali's daughter. What, what's that gonna do for right. me today? You know what I'm saying? So, me and my father are so alike, but so different, and we've always been like. People just assume, heads. yes, yeah. people just assume that I'm daddy's girl and all that. And I'm so mm. not, I'm the last. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's nine of us. 
I know. And yeah, you're so like uh, I'm, you're the, you're the eighth I'm and nine, the, right? Yeah. So we yeah. have a brother who was adopted when you know um, I forget how old I was when he was adopted, but I'm the youngest of my dad's natural children, mm-hmm. and I'm the youngest girl, and then I'm like the feistiest, yeah. most challenging one for him. <laughs> so what did you guys butt heads over? Oh my god. I always, you know, I do a lot of public speaking, and I and I always talk about the three time, to- the three big meetings that we had. Um, so I remember, okay, first of all, I'm not Muslim. That was big. You saw right. how much if you watched the movie. If you didn't yeah. know before, you know my whole my dad's whole life is like based around his religion. Um, and for me to be an eight year old at the time, and I'm estimating seven or eight, and I told my dad, I don't want to be Muslim. And he's just like, what? Like, you know, you're not old enough to know what you want. And I was like, I'm old enough to know it's not in my heart. It's not in my heart. Hmm. So what can he say? Yeah. So then it was just kind of, no, he didn't like that at all. Uh So then everything from then on out was this happened because you're not Muslim or you're doing that because you're not Muslim. And everything's like, because (laughs) I'm not Muslim. And I'm like, uh-huh. oh, really? So as I got older, and then it, we, you know, and I'd say, for example, I had on fitted jeans like I have on now. It's like he'd be staring at you. Why oh, you got those jeans on? You know, men are going to look at your butt, and they're just going to want to have sex with you. And then he'd go on this whole tangent. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I don't want to hear you talking to me that way. You know. So then we kind of get into it all the time. Like, yeah. I'm, and I'm like, I'm not going to come visit you when you come in town if you're going to disrespect me. You know, we'd be back and forth. So it was like that. Then um, when I was 18, I moved out the house and moved in with a boyfriend. Uh huh. And it was like, I'm you're, sure that went over. Oh well. yeah, but it was like, but it wasn't so much. The, you know, I'm worried about you, and you're too young to be a guy. It was just no, you're living in sin, and it was a it was a religious thing again. Yeah. And I was like, I'm not Muslim, so then that became an issue. And I was like, wait a minute, I paid my own bills because I I've always I had a business when I was you know 18. I had a nail salon, I moved right. out, I was supporting myself. So then I was kind of like, you're not gonna tell me what to do. And then of course in the boxing. That was another conversation. Right. He tried to talk me out of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. <laughs> but you're, I mean, that makes you your father's daughter. Like that's, oh, yeah. that, that spiciness, that feistiness, that's fine. He has you so know, much that's, respect. That's him too, right? He has so much Was he much able respect. to recognize that? Oh, yeah. That? Yeah. Oh, right. yeah. At a certain point, that's what I'm saying. I remember when he told me not to box. You know, first he tried to talk me out of it indirectly. And when he, when he, cause I kind of started in secrecy cause I was like, had to figure mm-hmm. out for myself, is this what I really want to do? I understood everything that was going to come with it. But I was like, let me get in the gym, see if I even have the talent because I don't want to embarrass myself. I don't want to embarrass my family. And I just want to be good. So I trained in, for like six months without uh-huh. anyone knowing Stealth that. Mode. Yeah. It was kind of like, I'm just, I was like, oh, I'm just going to go lose some weight, work out. But I knew what I, my goal was. So when it got around to him and he asked me about it and said, are you in the gym? And I'm like, yeah, I am. And then he was just like, well, what are you going to do? I, you know, there's going to be so much attention on you, so much pressure on you. And I'm like, I, I, I'm ready to deal with that. I've thought that through. Well, what if you get knocked down in the ring and the lights are on? He, he builds this whole scene and uh-huh. you're on the canvas and everybody's watching. I was like, well, you've been knocked down. I'm going to yeah. do what you did. Or I'm you gonna... could just say, well, what, you know, what, what would you have said if somebody said that to you? Back in the day. Well, like I didn't even, you know, at the, at the end of the day, I wasn't even trying to talk him out of trying to talk me out of it. I was just going with his flow. I knew where he was uh-huh. going with it. And I was like, just answering him. I said, I'm going to do what you did. You got uh-huh. up, right? And then if he got so frustrated, he finally was just like, <laughs> it's not for you. It's not for women. It's too hard. It's not a woman's sport. And I just said, you know what, dad? I Because I expected him to say something like that. And I just said, you know what? I understand how you feel, but this is what I'm going to do. And I'm, I've already made my mind up. So he right. just had to roll with Yeah, but he came around. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And he, yeah. And he apologized. 
I remember I won uh, my second title, and he came to my dressing room after the fight, and he had tears. He used to cry all the time, uh -huh. tears of joy usually, but he um, he had tears in his eyes, and I'm like, oh, God, what now? And he says, you know, I want to apologize to you. I was wrong, and I'm sorry. Women can fight. You can fight. And then, of course, he starts trying to show me how to jab and trying to— I was like, uh -huh. now you want to teach me something? Like, I already got world titles. <laughs> yeah. Like, what are you talking about? So, Well, let's, let's step it back a little bit. I mean, did you—first of all, were you an athlete, like, in high school? Not at all. You didn't do anything? Nope. Not I, even like basketball, volleyball, nothing. I was too busy being bad uh -huh. in school. I was yeah, always. What were you into? Oh my god, ditching. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I I had a very dysfunctional childhood. You were born in up. Miami, but did you did you grow? Did you go to high school around here? Out I here? grew up. No. I saw. So I was born in Miami. Literally, just was there probably not even thirty days. My dad was training uh -huh. for a fight, and then we flew back here. So I I grew up in L.A. all of my mm -hmm. life. So um, where'd you go to high school? I went to multiple multiple high schools because, yeah. like I said, I was bad. I went to Hamilton. I went uh -huh. to Uni. I went to Venice. I went to Culver City. Like I used to get yeah, I got Bounced kicked around. out a couple times. Yeah, for fighting. So like I always tell people, no, I was always a fighter. So I had a dysfunctional family, being that my mom and dad got divorced. Mm -hmm. My stepdad was an asshole. And I remember moving from the Hancock Park area, which is adjacent to Beverly Hills where we lived, and then my mom getting remarried. So we're moving to Malibu. And I, that was like crushed me, like to go to a whole new place yeah. down the coast. I'm talking about... 15 minutes past Pepperdine, like, oh, North Zuma, yeah, like, like there's far. nothing going on. Nothing up there. there, no friends, nobody. Um, so that like broke my heart. And then the whole dysfunction started happening. So I was an angry kid. Yeah. Um, and just trying to find myself and trying to always get back to LA. Mm -hmm. So I was spending the night at friends' house a lot and all that. And then I always had this tough exterior about me. Um, and I was like a rebel without a cause. And I just got myself in trouble, hanging around the wrong crowd, ditching school. Um, and then one day, I was with this young lady who shoplifted and then was like, oh, let's go. I don't pay for anything. And I'm like, oh, okay. I have money in my pocket. So I shoplifted with her, uh -huh. got caught, got in the system. That's how I ended up in the system. And now I'm on probation. Yeah. And then I um, got in trouble again. And then I got put in juvenile hall. Right. So I went, that was like the end of my my world. Like, cause I was had this attitude like, oh yeah, I'm gonna go to court today and I'll be home later. And then the judge actually locked me up and I was in juvenile hall for three months. Wow. Yeah, it was a long time. Yeah. And then after juvenile hall, I came out and had to go to a group home because mm -hmm. they were like, you know, something's not right at your house. And it wasn't, my mom just really didn't know what was going on with me. She was like caught up in her marriage. And I ended up in a group home in the program that I had to graduate which most people don't graduate. They say, you're not, you're going to be here for at least a year. And I was like, I cannot be here for a year. Mm -hmm. So then I got, a, I, I graduated in six months. And um, then I got back on track because I'd already went to school and learned how to do nails. Um, and then I, I got my license. I moved out the house and kind of never looked back on all that. Right. So Juvie was like, what were you, were like 17 or something, 16 no, no, or something 15, like that? Uh -huh. 15. Wow. Yeah. 15. Yeah, I was 15. And it was like the best thing that ever happened to me. Yeah. But that was like to have your freedom taken, you know. Yeah. To have your freedom but taken not away. Three not months. for that long. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. No, We're not no. talking about no overnight. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Most of the time when I say that, people are like, oh, you got in trouble. Your parents came and got you. It was like, no. Right. And, and then when I got arrested, I used the name Anderson, which was my mom's name at the time, because uh -huh. I didn't want to say Ali. And then, yeah, I was going to ask yeah. about that. So yeah, no one really so knew. no one knew. Until... They know, and that would have, that would have just exaggerated. Well, they, it started the to get around, because you, you see kids come through that are like, wait a minute, I know her from my school. You uh -huh. know, and then it kind of got around, right. but I was always... You know, my my file was always under the name Anderson. And yeah. I never got sentenced to time. That's the crazy thing. The judge said, you know, you're going to get two weeks and I want to see you back here. And I was like, oh, my God, two weeks seemed like two uh -huh. years. And when I came back, he stayed, I stayed behind the courtroom 
all day. He didn't see me. He sent me back again for another two weeks. He did that to me a few times mm-hmm. that added up to three months because the judge was like, you're Muhammad Ali's daughter. Like, what the heck is going on with you girls? Right. So he just wanted to teach me a lesson, you know, and get me on track. So, And where was dad throughout this whole thing? You know what? He wasn't there. I'll tell you yeah. that. He um, he knew what was going on, but I didn't want him to come visit me. I didn't want any, you know anyone to see my father there. So he kind of, everyone was just kind of like, what's going on with Layla? Like, so I, you would think that I was going to be the one that was going to amount to nothing, mm-hmm. you know, but uh, obviously that didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. So you got kind of scared straight. I mean, was there, was drugs and alcohol part of that at all mm-hmm. or just behavior stuff? No, I never did. I just never drank. Out. I never did drink. I smoked a little yeah, weed, you know, but right. never, never did any um, drugs. Uh-huh. I always had a really good head on my shoulders. I was always strong, confident in myself. It's just the anger that I had right. um, is what really got me into trouble. Because I had this, like I said, just, I want to do my own thing. And right. I want to, I didn't want to be just, I'm just Muhammad Ali's daughter. So I, all of our friends that were like our wealthy friends, kids and all that, I didn't really want to hang out around them, but I went totally to the other side, yeah. to the hood, like, you know, and, and right. then of course I didn't have the street smarts and things. And that's how I ended up getting myself in trouble. So. Uh-huh. Yeah, but sometimes that that flirtation with the darkness is is what you need to like, you know, get the needle sorted out and get straight. I wouldn't change anything yeah. from, you know, I, and I talk about it all the time. It's, I wrote a book about it. My first right. book was Reach, Finding Strength, Spirit, and Personal Power because, you know, when people started, you know, speculating why am I a fighter, it was funny to me because I'm like, these motherfuckers just don't know. I've been know. fighting the whole time. Yeah, yeah, I've been fighting. I was fighting my stepdad when I was a kid. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, and that's why all of the, that started because I didn't accept him. I didn't accept the way he was treating my mom. I watched my mom be weak. I tried to stand up for her. And then I got mad at her. Like, you're going to let this person do this to you and to us. And I had all this anger. I felt abandoned. You know, my dad lived in a different state. He didn't really know what was going yeah. on. And so it's like, you understand that you know your father is the father to the world and he's helping all these mm-hmm. people but you still have to have be a sacrifice right so it's like that was something that I learned at an early age and I'm not upset I understand that's just the way the chips yeah. go you didn't but, sign up for that no his energy's going out to everybody and there's yeah. not so much left over for for you yeah but I was actually okay like I wasn't that close to my dad um so I wasn't like oh where's daddy you know it's just that this is what it was you uh-huh. know and that and it's fine so I understand that he had a calling to do certain things, but that's just a part of my story and why right. things kind of. How's your you mom know. doing now? She's good. She's yeah. good. She's um. She with that guy still? No, 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 no. <laughs> He's out of there. I was planning his <laughs> right. death. Yeah. I was like, we're gonna roll. We're gonna fix those brakes, and the car's just gonna uh-huh. roll down on the PCH. That never. That never ended up happening because he got out of there. But um, yeah, she's good. She um, she's, you know, I'm watching her journey. You know, she's still, she's still, um, we're just so different as women, Mm -hmm. you know? So she's still on her her journey, figuring things out for herself. But she's a psychologist. She went to school. Mm. You know, she's um, good. Yeah, she's got her clients. So she's great. So what was the process of working through the anger? I mean, did I, I assume boxing played some role in helping you get to the other side of that. You don't seem like an angry person. I'm not, right? I'm not. So. You know, and it's funny because I never thought about the process of working through the anger, but um, just off of the top of my head, definitely boxing had something to do with it because um, it was a big outlet for me because I always was a fighter, like I said. For some reason, I always wanted to fight mm-hmm. um, and prove that I was strong. 
You know, I, like I had, I took pride in that. I remember being a kid and mom, I can help you move that, you know, pick, trying to pick up cabinets and just uh-huh. show how strong I was. I don't know what that was. It's got to be some weird genetic thing. It's though, weird. Right? It's very weird because I'm telling you, my husband now is like, why are you always talking about fighting? <laughs> but <laughs> Have you ever asked your, did you ever ask your dad, like, why, why did he decide to fight at the very beginning? Like, did, did, did you feel like he shares that same, he shared that same it was so, impulse? No, he's so different than me in that my dad is, would never do it have a street fight like my dad would never want to you know go there like he whenever you saw him like taunting his opponents and he was just playing it was all for show yeah. you know what I mean but like I'm a little different where I really have like more of a, a evil mean streak when it needs to come out um, so he started fighting because somebody stole his bike he was mad about it and a trainer was like he's like I'm gonna get those guys like well do you know how to fight well come in here young man right. it was like oh and then he kind of fell into it that mm-hmm. way. Whereas I more so was angry and mad and then saw women's boxing on television for the first time and was like, oh my God, I didn't even know women box. I didn't yeah. know that it was possibility. How did you not know that? Nobody knew. Yeah. It was because this female Christy Martin was on Mike Tyson's undercard back then. And it was the first time a lot of millions of people saw women's boxing, including uh-huh. myself. Was so, it the first televised yes, women's it was boxing the first, match? Yes, yeah. it was the first. I, I don't want to say 100% I'm sure on that, but I know it was the first big televised that anyone right. would have been watching. But um, so she was the she was the co-main event. So people were watching. I was watching, and I was like, I want to do that. And then it took me about a year of contemplation to actually start. Uh huh. Yeah. As the story goes, you were like with friends watching this, and you had like it's this light bulb moment, right? Mm-hmm. And you're like, I'm going to do that. I remember like it was yesterday. Uh-huh. I was like, and oh you're my God. you're like 18, right? At the time, I was probably 17, so, uh-huh. yeah, 17-ish going on. Hadn't no, no, I was, I, probably, I was 18. I'm sorry. I was 18, yeah. Hadn't hadn't played any sports Mm-mm. or anything like that? Never played sports, was not in shape. Um, I probably was about 30 pounds heavier than I needed to be because, you know, it's all about weight class and being yeah. at your best. Um, didn't know what it would take. So that night, I was like, I want to do that. I, ta- I thought it through and everything. Then I went home and the fear and the doubt and the, what are you thinking? And Because remember, I had already been through the whole juvenile hall stint and right. got myself back on track. I had a nail salon, I had a business. I was in school. I was living on my own. I was like, I'm going to be an entrepreneur and I'm going to start all these businesses. And you know, I was just at the beginning. So for me to, to and then I'm a planner and I do what I say I'm going to do. So I had said, this is what I was going to do. So how am I going to change that? What's everyone going to think? That's crazy. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be famous. I don't want to be a public person. I never did. So that was just an inner conflict in itself. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's impossible for you to step into that and not just attract the white hot spotlight right. of, of everything. And you. that was going to be a requirement in order to be successful. Uh-huh. So remember, I always think about what do I need to do in order to make this be successful? I didn't want to just box um, just to be doing it for fun. Otherwise, I would have done it for a hobby. If I'm going to dedicate my life to this, I need to be successful at it, which means I need to be a winner. I need to be undefeated. I need to make money at it. I need to think about, because that's just the smart way to, to approach anything. Yeah. So, But the traditional trajectory would be, all right, you're going to do a few fights. You're going to figure out, like, you're going to make mistakes. Like, you can, in most people, you know, can anonymously, like, work their way up yeah, to get to a certain point. But from day one, everybody's going to be paying attention to you and the criticism and everything that goes with right. that. Well, my pro debut, put it like this, was off television because you want to, you know, you want to, def- I didn't I definitely don't want to fight on TV. Um, and... There was 80 different media outlets there right. just ready to report. Oh 
This is my first time ever stepping into a ring ever. Uh-huh. And you know, you go into it, your trainer, your manager, your handlers, they're all like, okay, she says she's going to do this. She says she's yeah. going to knock this girl out. But what's she going to do when those lights come on and that crowd's there and her dad's in the audience with all this pressure? You never know until you actually go out there and do it. So then I knocked the girl out in 54 seconds and mm-hmm. I was like, bam, right. we're off to a good start here. Right. And then it's just <laughs> off to the races with yeah. the whole thing. Yeah. Um, also, I think you know, almost everybody would assume that, okay, you're going to get into boxing. So first phone call, dad, who's the trainer, like it compile this team of people, the best people in the world to do this. But you, you did this completely without your dad's knowledge, right? Like you're trying to find these people on your own. Yeah, well, I did. And my father wasn't in the boxing business, so he wouldn't have been the best person to ask anyway. But don't if he didn't know, he would have known someone who knew. Right, of course. And then the thing is, is that with boxing, you have a lot of people, with anything, you have a lot of people who are supposedly the people who know and have the right answer, but they don't always, and they have uh-huh. agendas. So for me- A lot of that. Yeah, yeah. it's all that. So for me, it was like, I wasn't going to trust them anyway. It's like, I'd rather make my own mistakes because you know I already know, I already know the game. So for me, luckily, I found my ex-husband, who was a former fighter, and we started dating. And he knew so much more than me. He had been a world champion. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was training with a guy who was, he was like, first, first things first, you, we can't train with this guy. He's just not at the level of, you know- the trainer you need to be with skill-wise and experience-wise. So that was the first change. And then eventually I moved to Las Vegas. I started training with um, Roger Mayweather, who's Floyd Mayweather's uh-huh. um, uncle, and F- Floyd Sr., and then Buddy McGirt. These are all top trainers, so those throughout my career. Um, and then, you know, you, so so I learned and upped my level as I needed to, you know, but the guy, Dub Huntley, who I had in L.A., was perfect for the beginning in terms of just, not the one I originally had first, but the second one. He, you know, as far as getting my base, and, yeah. then, and then it was time to kind of step it up a notch, and that's when I moved. So, from seventeen or eighteen, when you first see this fight on TV, to that first fight where you knocked this person out, how much time went by? Two years. Two years. Yeah. So I saw. Uh-huh. So I saw. Saw her on TV. It took me about a year to start training, and then. Um, I trained for a whole year before I went uh-huh. pro. And I'm talking about after school, after work, eight o'clock at night, every night. And I looked forward to mm-hmm. it. And I was, I, I was, it was so grueling. So, you know, my whole body changed. I had to change the way that I ate. Um, you know, just, I was like, what is it going to take to be a world champion? Because I wanted to be a world champion and my goal was to be undefeated. Uh-huh. So, um, that, how many, how many, how many female professional boxers were there at that time? Uh, I would say about 1500. Uh-huh. There were, there oh, were some, more than yeah. I would have thought. Yeah. Wow. There's a lot. And there's a lot more now because women's boxing is now in the Olympics. Yeah. It wasn't when I was fighting, but my weight class, which was 168 pounds is big for a woman. Um, there wasn't a lot of females. So I, mm-hmm. my whole career, I struggled with finding fights that were going to be, um, you know, give me a challenge, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and that's one of the reasons I retired. I just kind of, there was like the same three girls that I want to fight yeah. that wouldn't fight me, but then they said I wouldn't fight them. Yeah, there's a whole lot of back and forth Oh about my that. God, I swear. It, it, I've lost so much sleep over that. Um, and I was just like, I'm tired of this, you know? So- Mm-hmm. What can I do? I just I just retired. There's so many other things that I wanted to do that I knew I could do well. Boxing was like I got that out of my system, so it was like time to time yeah. to move on. Well, 24 and 0, you you pretty much took every belt, right? Like every championship or whatever. Retire on top. I mean, it's pretty good. Yeah, but I mean, I wasn't really re- done. I, what I else really, was there to do? I mean, you you know you you I don't like ever having people out there lingering. Right. To be, oh, she never fought she never this fought, girl. Right, because right, I right. know eventually there's going to be documentaries uh-huh. made on me. 
So there was, and so it's like, that's you, gonna be you part were of saying it. I'll fight anyone. They're saying she won't fight me, but it kind of boiled down to negotiations and people backing out over money yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. There's The thing is, is that to fight me was I'm the big name, right? So everyone right. was like, that's going to be my payday. So then what people didn't realize, I wasn't even making that much money. You know, I was making a whole lot more than them. But in my mind, in my mm-hmm. world, it wasn't a whole lot of money. I was making more money outside of boxing in terms of endorsements and things. But when they finally got their opportunity and they're like, $100,000, I thought I was going to get a million dollars. Then it's just like, wait a minute, I don't want to risk to get this ass whooping for that. Right. You see what I mean? Back, so then it was like, I, one girl in particular, she'd rather go down in history as the one, the one I was afraid to fight opposed to actually uh-huh. get in there because she knew she'd we, we, on behind the scenes the she knew who was the top dog was like <laughs> okay, we yeah. me and her like the woman wouldn't even look uh-huh. me in the eye so it was just like she had uh-huh. this fear of me but then she's got this persona because when when someone looks mean and big and bad and oh the pretty girl must be the one who's afraid yeah. you know and so she's just kind of rode that story into the sun, sunset so. When you were fighting, do you, do you, if you watch yourself on tape, are there similarities in style with your dad or did you have a totally different? Oh, there's definitely similarities. Similarities just naturally because of our build. Uh-huh. So just the way kind of my weight and muscles distributed were built a lot alike. Um, so when you're tall and you have long arms, you're going to use your jab, you're going to fight a certain way, you're going to move around the ring. Mm-hmm. And then the natural ability to be able to move and my speed all was God given and like from my father. So that was what I would say we have most in common is the confidence for one. It's yeah. just like through the roof. Like I literally felt like I'm going to win this fight with every cell in my body for sure. There was no doubt about it. Uh-huh. It was just, and I wasn't something I said, it's something I truly believed. So it was like, I knew that it's just a matter of, can I go in here and do the things that I've been working on? You know, as an athlete, the things that you know that you need to perfect, I want to go in there and do. And I don't know what round is going to happen, but I know mm-hmm. that I'm going to win this fight. So that I think is one thing. And even even learning more about my dad and watching videos, he wasn't even as confident as I was. But oh, that's interesting. It's because you have to take into consideration he's fighting bigger, stronger men. I didn't have that situation. Uh-huh. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So, the, the talent pool is a little different. Yeah, exactly. So I can't just say it's hard. It's hard to say. But I never felt like like I've heard him say like I was scared like, and I never felt that. Uh-huh. Um. So, but that, there was a difference there. And once we once the ball was rolling and you're you're winning all these fights, does Dad come in and say, "Here, try this, do that"? Like, is he? peppering you with no. like insights or, or he just let you do your thing. No, nah, he didn't do that at all. The mm. only thing the only thing he did was because uh, his thing was a jab, jab and that's what mm-hmm. most fighters do. They'll try to show you what they did best. So it was just like, you know, just you got, you got to have your jab fast. And uh-huh. He was just saying it in general, not that it wasn't fast, but he was just like, you need to hit the bag and act like there's a fly on the bag and you're trying to hit it before it flies away. And uh-huh. I was like, okay, that's a good one. You know what I mean? <laughs> so just that uh-huh. if that's how fast your jab needs to be, but not everyone can do it even if they want to do it. Right. You know, so yeah and was your training like is 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 it different for female boxers than it is for men is the training exactly the same not at all yeah i mean meaning it's not different at all it's Mm -hmm. the same so it's just like i don't know if it's different for running for women as it is for men no no not not at all so um the thing is, is with women especially larger women, I have to, I trained against men. So uh-huh. I sparred against men. Right. Not that you always have to, but for me, that's what it ended up being. Cause I'd, you bring in some, you'd be like, okay, who can I spar with them? Bring this girl in from out of town and keep, you know, come to training camp for two weeks after taking a beating day after day, they start wearing down. 
and they're not a help to me anymore. So then it was like, okay, let me just start sparring mm-hmm. with just guys. And it kind of just faded out the women altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, and you then you have to find the balance because men are always going to be stronger than women. Yeah. So then it was like, okay, I'm going to spar with a 145 pounder, even though I'm 168. And he still can't like cry, try to kill me. You know what I mean? Yeah. So they have to find that balance. So you got to find someone who's super skilled enough to where, because if you get a fighter that doesn't have a lot of experience, as soon as I crack them, they're going to get mad and they're not going to be able to control themselves. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. like, yeah. Yeah, I had um, Frank Shamrock in here, MMA fighter, and mm-hmm. he has this rule. It's, it, it's, it's called plus minus zero, something like that, which basically means you, you have to spread your, your, um, your efforts um, with different kinds of people. So you spar with the person who's just a little bit better than you. And then you're with the person who's perfectly matched for you. And then you work with someone who's not as good as you, like you're sort of paying it forward to that person. And when you have that blend of those three things, that's like his equation for you know, progressing efficiently. That works. I mean, I haven't, I haven't ever broke it down in that way, but for the most part, yeah, you do. So if you, if I, I've been in there with people who weren't as good as me and I'm going to take it easy on them, but at the same time, I'm going to try, take chances that I wouldn't uh-huh. normally take with somebody else. Yeah. You see, so in this, like, it's a, it's a mount, it's having discipline because you can say, I'm only going to jab no matter what, no matter how hard that other person's going. Mm-hmm. And I, in the back of my mind, always have my right hand, which is hard, which is going to stop you. Like, if I want you to get off of me, I'm going to hit you with that. And right. then you're going to be like, whoa. <laughs> but if I can't do that, now I got to move. Yeah. I have to use my feet. I have to be smart. I have to do other things. So, yeah, it's a balance. And you, did you do the weight cut thing, too, after the weigh-in and all that? Um, I didn't. So You're just at 166, 168, right? You just stay there. 168. I'm not that anymore. I'm 200 uh-huh. pounds a day. Uh-huh. But 168. Um, was my weight. And early on in my career, I used to come in at like 164, 165, easy. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to lose weight because I was a lean, strong 164, you know. Right. But a lot of times, say if you're a man and the lighter weights you fight at, you have less, not as much power to deal with. You want to try to come down as small as you can because mm-hmm. that's what everyone else is doing. So um, that's why they would cut weight. Whereas, because if, you, if, you, if you're walking around at 175 and you try to fight at 175 as a man, you're probably fighting guys who are really 215 and came yeah. down. Yeah, yeah. So I didn't have to do that. I didn't really. Now, as I got older, I started coming around 175 because your body just changes and it was harder for me to make 168. Mm-hmm. And I remember having weeks, the week of the fight, I had to lose 10 pounds. Mm-hmm. So it was just like, yeah, then, then at that point, yeah, you're like, it's water weight for the most part. But uh-huh. yeah. Was it ever close? I mean, 24 and 0? Did you, I mean, did you just like waltz through all these people? No, I've had some tough fights. Yeah. I had some tough fights, and especially I fought with the flu four times. And of course, while I was fighting, mm-hmm. nobody knew. But I was like on death's door, you know, like when you have 102 temperature. And I was like, oh, full on fever, full on fever, full on fever, like just weak, like by the second round. Uh I remember I fought Joe Frazier's daughter, Jackie Frazier, and I was was sick for that fight. Might have been a little press about that. Yeah, there was. I was sick, and nobody <laughs> oh knew. And and it was funny because my husband, our husbands, were co-promoting the fight. Uh-huh. My ex-husband, and I was no way I was going to pull out. And I was just like, okay, she's she's nothing. I'm gonna. This is gonna be an easy fight. So I was like, I can still fight or sit sick. You know, uh-huh. so you get mentally ready, and I felt fine, and I got in there, and by the third round, I was. She was tougher than I thought she was going to be. I was weaker than I thought I was going to be. I literally by the third round was like, okay, this is gonna be, this is jacked mm-hmm. up. So then, like, I I would go back to my corner and I wouldn't even sit down. I was like, if I sit down, I'm not gonna get back up. So I was like winning the fight, but I definitely would have stopped her, like, uh-huh. you know, probably by the fourth round. But I didn't have the power, so that fight went the distance, and I won. 
And then I regret not having a rematch though for that. Yeah, fight. I would I would think that that would be a fight that there'd be a lot of pressure to have a rematch. And I didn't, right? and it was because of me because yeah. I didn't have a rematch clause. And I was kind of, I didn't want to fight her in the first place because it was right in that time when everyone wasn't really taking me serious. Why is she doing this? And then she, her 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 career was inspired by mine. She started, and then it, it became like a side it's show It's like thing. a Rocky movie. Yeah, you know? and it like just felt- It's like the kids are gonna, yeah. Yeah, I was like, yeah. she's not serious, I'm serious. Mm-hmm. That's how I felt. And I was like, but I had to fight her because it was like, why wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. And then people want to see it. There was money there. But I was like, after that fight, I said, I wanted to fight girls who have titles. I'm ready to start fighting real champions. So I was so adamant about that, that I was like, no, I'm not doing this again. Mm-hmm. But I wish- that I would have because, you know, first of all, it would have just been smart business. I just, had, you know, like I said, I had something to prove yeah. and I let that get in the way. Well, having something to prove and then having all this press about like, oh, she's just, you know, the daughter and like having to live in that shadow, I would imagine allowed you to kind of tap into that 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 anger, you know, and unleash that in the ring. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I didn't just use that. I use like the anger that I feel for kids that are abused for sex trafficking, whatever it is that, mm-hmm. that that just all these things that go on in our world that just chip away at you. Like when you're watching the news and you're just like, God, you know, it's just like, what can you do about it? Like, what can you really do about it? You just feel, I feel anyway, like, and I'm saying these are, I'm talking about t- now, but back then, whatever was going on back then and during those times, you know, I would just kind of um, make this moment bigger than being a, just about myself. Mm-hmm. Like I'm going in here to fight for the world. So whatever you can do mentally, it's like it really made me feel like a beast, like a monster. Like I'm going in here to fight this girl. I'm not going to face a war. Nobody's gonna hit me from behind my head. I'm not. I see her. She's right in front of me. She's got two hands, just like me. And I'm a. I'm gonna be the winner. Period. So it's just like when you're coming in there, like you know what I mean. It was just like yeah. Well, that's you know that speaks to the Ali legacy. I mean, the, the idea of making it about something more than you, right? right? And I mean, nobody was better than that, than your dad, about really using his platform to you know, call into question certain conventional wisdoms and to speak truth to power and to be as you know, genuine and authentic as, and as honest as he possibly could be for the betterment of, of people and things that extended far beyond Boxing. Absolutely. And he was in a position where he was forced to have to do it, you know, in mm-hmm. terms of just everything he was up against, you know, with going to the war and you know, fighting against going to the war and the civil rights movement, all these things that he had right there at his doorstep yeah. that he had to face. So I didn't have that situation. So I never told anybody. Those were my secret things of what I take to get into my, mm-hmm. you know, supergirl suit, you know what I mean, to go in there and, and fight. I can talk about it now, but it was a little, you know, it was a little different. But yeah, that same thing that's in him is in me. And I think that Anyone who does anything where they feel like they're doing it for other people and for a bigger cause understands that. People who are working for nonprofit organizations and all this hard work that isn't easy. It's like, if it was just you, maybe if it was just for you, maybe you would quit or give up. Right. But you're like, I can't, you know, so. Yeah, I mean, in the movie, he, what I didn't realize or I didn't fully appreciate was just how bold a move it was for him to, um, you know, speak out against the war and, and opt out of that whole thing. And then you see all the other African-American athletes who are hesitant about that. And there wasn't the solidarity that I think in my mind, I thought was actually taking place during that time. Mm-mm. There were certain athletes that finally stepped up, but I mean, and I say this now, it's like, you can't expect everyone to be like Muhammad Ali mm-hmm. um, because 
you know, most people, not just athletes, don't want to put their livelihood on the line. You know, um, they don't want to, at the time, you know, they don't want to put their safety, the, the safety yeah. of their family on the line, especially if it's not something they feel, they truly feel they can make a difference. You have to first feel like this is sacrifice is going to make a change because there's a lot of people that speak out and try to mm -hmm. make sacrifices and they feel like it doesn't really change anything. But now they're out of a job and they're out of their money and their right. kids are, you know, in danger or whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. So, you know, everyone's going to do things. on. My dad is special. He's a special human being. You know what I mean? He's that. not just, yeah. you know, it's like, <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? You can't expect anyone else to be like him. But there, there were certain athletes that got uh -huh. behind him, you know, which was great. So how do you kind of carry that mantle forward? Like, how do you, you know, exude, you know, his legacy and, and try to, you know, continue to, you know, mm -hmm. breathe life into it through the things and the, the things you do and the choices that you make? It takes a balance for me. I mean, it's like now my father's passed away. He's not here anymore. I think about that more. Um, because before that, it was kind of like, hmm, what am I going to do, like I said, for me in my life? Yeah. And a lot of it naturally happened, the things that I care about. I try not to, I don't want it to be a burden on me because as great as my father was and amazing, um, you know, all the changes he made in the world, I still have my life to live. Yeah, you, feel, you know the real guy when the cameras aren't oh, on. Oh man, you know, so yeah. come on, like that's that's what that's what that he shaped my view of <laughs> of people. Like, uh -huh. okay, this these people are looking up to this guy. No, I'm just joking. Yeah. But um, we're none of us are perfect. But I'm just saying, I am really passionate about health and wellness and encouraging people to be the absolute best version of this, themselves, similar to what you're into doing. And this comes very natural to me. I've done it myself. I'm still doing it myself. It's an ongoing process, and I try to. Um, this confidence that I have that I wish I could put it in a bottle um, is something I was born with. Um, but I wish that for everyone that they had enough self-love, because I think that's what mm -hmm. it really comes down to, is confidence starts with self-love. And you have to love yourself enough to know that you're not going to be perfect. You're going to make mistakes, and that's okay. Like I was just saying a few minutes ago, I my father, being as amazing as he is, he wasn't nowhere near perfect. So mm -hmm. as a kid, I watched that. I saw his mistakes. I know all the things about him that are like, what? Crazy, you know? But he still is this amazing human being. So I'm like, if he's not perfect, nobody is. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? So first you just have to know that because most people are afraid to go after the things they really want to do, to say the things they really want to feel, to really, um, you know, find their purpose because they're afraid of screwing up. You know, they're afraid of what people are going to say. And it's like when you don't have that feeling, your the possibilities are limitless. Yeah. Uh, it's hard. It's really hard, you know, and just looking at your dad as a as an example, like he wasn't afraid to say ever he wasn't ever afraid to say what he thought, no matter what people thought. Like he was completely divorced from public opinion about his behavior and his actions. And and that's you know what's so inspiring and empowering about his example. And I think most people walk around, myself included, you know, second guessing myself. And I think there's an epidemic of people just feeling like they're not enough, you know? And there's a lot of pressure, especially in the digital Instagram age of mm -hmm. measuring ourselves against other people or the, you know, public facing image of other people. And it's very easy to just feel like, I, you know, what do I have to contribute? And I, you know, I can't make a difference. And, and, you know, how can I be, you know, how can I excel in all these different categories? There's all these expectations and pressures on me and it's impossible. So people just retreat mm -hmm. into their self-loathing. I know, I know. And, and um, I mean, I see it all the time, 
And that's exactly what I'm talking about. It's like, I really, one of the things that I want to do, and when you ask me carrying on the torch and I'm like, okay, so what can I do? Obviously I'm already doing, you know, through my, my website, leilali.com and um, through my speaking and through my products and just my whole Leilali lifestyle brand is empowering people to be the best they can be. And I'm talking about, I start with nutrition and food, but it's about empowering, mm-hmm. empowering your mindset, empowering your purpose, empowering your, your health, replenishing, I'm sorry, replenishing all those things. Um, but then I want to go deeper. So I actually want to do a process that, you know, people can download to kind of find that confidence. Um, so that's something that I obviously wouldn't be able to do by myself. Right now, it's just an uh-huh. idea, but it's something that I really want to do. And I really want to start with young girls, um, you know, and women, and then kind of just go from there. So yeah. it's just an idea that I have because I think that that is the basis of what you said is that self-love and, you know, really just accepting yourself for who you are. First, you have to do it before anybody else will then just kind of moving on from there. So Yeah. So what does that process look like for you? For me? Yeah. Like, like, I mean, if you were to, if you were to like, I know you're, it's just an idea at this point, but if you were to like hash out, like, all right, here's how I would take somebody through a process of helping them to do that in their own life. I think that it definitely is going to be a series of, um, you know, Items, I mean, things that you're going to read, things you're going to download, workbooks to write, to work things out, because you have to figure out a lot of things within yourself, you know, and people have to be ready to put that mirror in front of them. That's the one thing that you need to do first. So, I mean, working with other individuals who, you know, have. I, because I, the thing for me, my struggle is I'm naturally confident. Right. So it's like, so how you, can you, you tell someone? That. Yeah. Like, yeah. How can you just right, tell someone? Right. But, but there are things that I'm not as confident about. Uh-huh. So, you know, so I can relate to certain things. Like people would think that, like I said, when I go into the ring, I'm winning this fight. No question about it. But I'm not that way with everything else. Uh-huh. So like for now, I have to challenge myself because other opportunities always come up for me. And then I'll be like, for example, someone to say, oh, we want you to come speak at this college or whatever. And I'm like, oh, I didn't even finish school. Like, what am I going to say to them? Mm-hmm. Then I get a little insecure. Like, why would I go up there and, and talk? And then I'll like, no, I don't want to do it. Then my business partner right. pushed me, no, you need to go do this. And I'm like, I have fear. I'm like, no, I don't want to go do it. I'm not, because I'm not that smart when it comes to book smarts. Uh-huh. You know, I'm like, so I have a, a insecurity there, like literally, like I don't want to go on trivia, you know, shows or game shows or things like that. Cause I don't want people to know how much I don't fucking know. You know what I mean? Like really, like I'm like, cause uh-huh. I missed out on a lot of school. So like that is an insecurity of mine. So, so what's the solution for you for that? To you got yes to that stuff? Yeah. You, yeah. not all of it, Mama, right. you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Not Pretty all smart of it. here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, but definitely to I have to say, like I tell my friends, I'm like, F fear, like just do it. Just mm-hmm. take a chance. So some sometimes that's what I have to do. I have yeah. to just say, I'm just gonna go for it. You know, I'm gonna put it out there. And then once I've done it, I'll be like, oh, okay, you know, I can look process it and say, uh, I'm not gonna do it again, or at least I did it that one time, or I or I learned something I didn't know about myself. So yeah. Self-love begins with self-acceptance. And, and you know, I like what you said about the mirror. Like, you got to be able to look in the mirror and, and hold yourself accountable to yourself. Um, and I think, you know, a big, I think it begins with understanding that fundamentally, uh, most people seek that through 
um, external inputs. Like if I can get that person to date me or if I can get that car or that job or, or, or whatever, that that's gonna solve the problem. And the truth is that's the wrong way to look at it. Like it begins with the inside. You have to turn that gaze inward and start to you know deconstruct whatever's going on inside of you and unpack like whatever whether it's childhood trauma or whatever your repetitive you know behavior patterns that hold you back are just fully understanding those and accepting yourself for having those i think is the beginning of trying to work through them to get to the other side we're so complex as human beings you know it's like i can i can be watching this podcast and be inspired and go man i want to do that you know and then it's just like it's, it's really about working on certain things and f- being focused and consistent with it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you can't think of everything all at once or it just becomes overwhelming and nothing gets done, yeah. you know? So it's just like- How about like just not going to Burger King for your next meal? Like, let's start yeah, there, Yeah, start right? like, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I remember I met this gentleman on the airplane and he was like 400 pounds overweight and we just got to talk and I talked to him for the whole flight. It's like a five-hour flight. By the end of the flight, you know, he talked about his struggles, his ups and downs and why he wasn't able to lose weight. And I said, look, what are you, so what are you going to go eat? after you you know get off this plane let's just be honest and he's like i'm going to go get like a quarter two quarter pounders right. a large fry and a large supersized drink i was like okay can you go get one quarter pounder a fry and a medium drink and he's like i mean do you really think you can do that he was like yeah i, I think i can do that i said then just start there that's a win just start there i said and then you know ease then then get to where you can get a small fry and then and then get to where can you eat a salad before you go get like a lot of times we think about all these things we need to stop doing. And my thing is like, okay, for those people who really just feel like they just keep failing all the time, it's almost like they subconsciously expect to fail because they haven't been able to to get past certain things they're trying to do. So instead of thinking about all the things you have to take away, what can you add? Like, don't even think about taking anything away. Just can you get a, a, a smoothie in for breakfast? And mm-hmm. then if you're still hungry, go ahead and have that cinnamon roll, whatever. You know what I mean? And then can you just get a, a green salad before your meal? Can you drink a glass of water? Okay, let's just start adding these things. Stop thinking about what we need to take away. Then they start, first of all, they're going to feel fuller. They're going to get some nutrients. They're going to start cutting out, you know, some of the other food that they eat. Let's just start with that. Right. Like, let's not, you know, because there's just so many things. Oh, you just need to do this to be healthy. You just need to do that. You need to do that. It's very overwhelming, you know? So that works well for a lot of people that, I, that I've that um, i you know worked with. Yeah, I think the more granular you can mm-hmm. make it and you break these things down that are so overwhelming that it just prevents people from ever even beginning into the smallest, you know, little chunks, then it becomes digestible. And, you know, self-esteem comes with performing esteemable acts and that applies to, you know, service to others, but it also applies to service to ourselves, right? And so, you know, if that guy like, hey, can you take the stairs and not the escalator when you get off the plane or just like the, just like one thing. And once you do that, you're like, oh, I did that. I can do that next time too. Mm-hmm. I feel a bit better than I would if I'd done that other thing. So now you feel more energized and more emotionally connected to the process. And you're more likely to make that better choice the next time around as well. And then that stuff builds. Exactly. And I think, you know, I've said this many times before, but I think people, overestimate the progress that they can make in a you know a month or six months and they wildly underestimate the progress that they can make in a year. So mm-hmm. that guy on the plane, if he just did tiny little things but he was consistent about it, like a year from now, you know, maybe he's lost a hundred pounds. Exactly. If he's not done, but he's like on his way. Um 
and and he did it in a way where it didn't even feel that painful because it was so gradual. That's what I'm always always saying. I'm like, six months from now, you're either gonna be healthier and have lost weight, you're gonna be the same, or you're gonna have gained weight. Uh-huh. So it's like just make these small changes, and you're gonna look up. You know, I just I just even for myself, I mean, I fall off the wagon sometimes because I was healthy ten years ago and I'm healthier now. You know, because the obvious things I did. You know, when I first started boxing, I was like, okay, you know, you got to eat healthier. But I still didn't really understand quality of food and organic food and non-GMOs and all those things. I wasn't at that level yet. Uh But it was like I was always on this quest to get better. You just want to make sure you're trying to get better and you're, you're, you know, actually starting some sort of a process. There's going to be mistakes along the way. You know, you're going to, you know, find out new information. All these people that try all these different eating styles are trying to figure out what works for them, what they can actually, you know, do for the rest of their life, mm-hmm. but it's going to change even then. Like I, I can't eat yeah. the same way that I did five years ago. Even you know, as your body changes, as you get older, you know, you just you just have different needs. I think the self love applies to accepting yourself for making those mistakes too, because I think people set themselves up for long term failure when they have a slip up or they make a mistake, and then they just give up, they're like, well, it's too hard. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, no, you just, that's just feedback, you know? Yeah, like, oh, let's let's try to figure out why you made that choice. Maybe you don't make it next time and just be more gentle on yourself and a little bit more permissive of those mistakes and use it all as a learning experience as opposed to, you know, uh, a cane to like, you know, to like smack yourself with. I just love that there's so many resources people have now for help because, you know, it's like you can listen to this one conversation and try to go do this by yourself. And then you don't have that voice in your, you know, and that support, like what you just said. Mm-hmm. It's like people need to hear that on a regular basis, you know, because you're going to slip up and you're going to have issues. You're going to need to reset. You're going to need to remind yourself because then life happens. You know what I mean? It's like I, I start off like, I'm going to do this, 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 and that. And I'm doing it. And then at some point I stop. And then like, Months go by, I look back, oh, God, I stopped doing that uh-huh. because something happened that took my attention. Right. That when needed- you interrupt the momentum. Yeah. The <laughs> Just like, and then I'm like, oh, yeah. wait. Oh, God, I got to get back on that, you know? So. What do you think holds people back the most? I fear. And that's going to be so many things, you know? Fear and then probably just um, their habits. Like you just have a habit, things that they just can't let go of. Mm-hmm. You know, and like I just like I just answered that off the top of my head, but that definitely holds people back from following their dreams, following their heart, taking chances, fear. Yeah. Um, and then in terms of just reaching their goals, and a lot of what you talk about is health and wellness goals. It's just you know their habits, you know, and and we have to like. You know, it's like we want to be gentle, but at the same time, you need to give yourself a kick in the ass sometimes. Mm-hmm. I have to do it sometimes. Like when I'm, you know, when I'm when I fall off and I'm having more sugar than I need to have, it's just like, just you girl, stop it. Like uh-huh. I have a coach in my own head though. Just stop. Like I don't like feeling like I can't be in control of my own myself and my own actions. So it's like, but that's the thing. That's that's a my thing. Not mm-hmm. everybody feels that way. Yeah. But it's like when I start feeling like wait a minute, I just put that in my mouth. I didn't even think about it. And it's just, now I ate it and I was like, I didn't even want to eat that. Uh-huh. But I was stressed out, you know, and I had a weak moment and it was around and I like it, you know? So then it was just like, boom. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And then then that's when I'm like, okay, you're not going to do that again. You know, and I like set a, set a boundary for myself. Uh-huh. But it's but like- you'll probably do it again. 
you know? Are you kidding me? I of mean, course. it's like we're human beings, you know? It's like, <laughs> yes, but the only thing that we have control over are, are our actions and our reactions, right? Right. And, but, but I think more often than not, that's like running on, you know, our unconscious mind is controlling most of that most of the time. And the more mindful and kind of rooted in the present that we can be, then we're more aware of when we're reflexively like doing those kinds of things, but it's hard. And I think we, we have this sense that we can control our environments better than we actually can. We really can't, you know, there's, there's people and variables and things happen. And I think people sort of set these goals or, or begin these trajectories to, you know, improve themselves in some various way. And there'll be some interceding event that interferes with like their plan. Mm -hmm. And they're like, well, I can't do it. And it's mm -hmm. like, but that's, that's just the way the world works. Like you gotta learn how to roll with that shit mm -hmm. if you wanna stay in it. And staying in it is the, is, is, is the winning strategy. What I do is I expect that there's gonna be some, some kind of a disruptor, not in a negative way, like, cause you don't wanna just have to be negative about everything. But in terms of, like I like to just know things are gonna happen. So when they happen, it's not that big of a deal to me. It's like, uh -huh. you know, I'm gonna jump over that, I'm gonna swerve, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that, I'm gonna stay. It's like it's like a, a game, you know? Right. So it's just staying on track. So mm -hmm. I know that everyone has a different way of thinking. But like you said, you can't control anyone else. You can only control your own actions and yeah. how you respond to certain situations. And I I like to take responsibility for my own actions. So when things don't go my way or something happens, I always think, what could I have done differently? Even if it comes down to something someone else did and someone can say, well, no, that wasn't on you. That was on them. I'm like, but I might have chose to put that person in the picture in my life. Yeah. Let me think why I did that and how I can prevent those because those red flags were there. So I, I can still bring it back to the choice I made, you know, and just try to figure that's how, how serious I am about it. Like I try to figure out, OK, how can I just change things? But then again, I can't get too caught up in that also because I can't be in that much control all the time. So that's the mind uh -huh. of a control freak, you know. But you can like, always <laughs> do an inventory. You right. can always, no matter, you know, how many people tell you you were right and they were wrong. Right. I guarantee you that you contributed to whatever happened exactly. in some way. And the more... Um, skilled you can become at identifying what your part is, because I think that's another thing where our unconscious mind takes over and we're like, I didn't do anything wrong. And you need other people in your life to call you on that stuff mm -hmm. and say, actually, here's here's what you keep doing all the time and you're not even aware that you're doing it. And that's why you keep ending up in these right. shitty situations. Right, and if you don't wanna call it wrong, just what can you do differently? to have a different outcome. You keep mm -hmm. doing the same thing, you're gonna have the same outcome. And we hear it all the time. Yeah. It's like, okay, why Why are you doing yeah. Don't you think maybe you should or try, like, just try something. It's easy for you, Layla, it's easy for you. Mm -hmm. you're, you're this and that and the other thing. Like, you don't understand my problems, Right. you well, know? Um, and it's tough to break through out of that, you know, I'm sympathetic to that. Mm -hmm. But so, all right, so you conclude your 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 boxing career and now you're like in this, you know, you're this like wellness entrepreneur. Like, how did that, come about? Like, how did you decide, like, this is the, this is the avenue I want to pursue? So when I retired from boxing, I go, went through what most athletes go through when they retire. It's just kind of, hmm, what am I going to do now? Uh -huh. Right. Because I did what I loved and what I was passionate about and I put my all into. And it took me about five or six years to really figure that out because I was, you know, I had all these opportunities with TV hosting and all yeah. that, but I wasn't really fulfilled. And I don't even love being on TV. It's like something I do because I know I need to do, but I'm not like that person. Like, I want to be on TV, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, it's just good for business, but, um, 
I realize I'm really passionate about helping people with their health and their wellness. I'm writing out meal plans for friends and always helping people. And I was like, you know, what can, how can I make this a business for myself or if this something that I can really focus on? Um, and that's when I started Lay Lolly Lifestyle Brand and I started my website and my blog. And, um, you know, I had a, a podcast at one time and I came out with my cookbook, Food for Life. Mm-hmm. Now I have Lay Lolly Spice Blends, which are like my baby. I brought some for you. Yeah, no, I'm excited. Um, I'm Check so excited out. about those. Um, and then I have a nutrition line um, called Uplenish. So, um, and I'm very hands-on. When I say hands-on, I'm talking about down to the I'll call, go Google and be like, hmm, let me find an organic spice company. And I'll call them up and say, hmm, you know, how, what's the minimum order? And I'm like dealing with these people when it comes to my labels and everything because I wanted to really approach it like any other entrepreneur who was just starting. And I'm also, you know, like I don't like to wait on people. So when I want to answer, I'll get it for myself. So that's why uh-huh. I do most things myself because like I, I want to just pick up the phone and call right now. Not only that, there's no blueprint to what it is that I was, tr- what I'm trying to do. So, um, you know, I, you know, when it came to the the spice blends, even it was just like there was. I was like, who can I call that's done this before? Yeah, they can help me and not look at me as Layla Ali. You know, yeah. like look at me as just a regular f- female entrepreneur. You know, because then it's like, oh, we can put you with this person, and they can, you know, then they want to be a part of the deal, and then it uh-huh. becomes something that's not. And I was like, no, I don't want that. I don't want to have to answer right. anyone. So that's been a fun quest for me, um, because I'm making a lot of mistakes along the way. We talk yeah. about mistakes, but I wouldn't have it any other way. And it took me like five years to finally get my spice blends packaged and um, ready to sell. So they're up online. And the spice blends were so important to me because ever since I was nine years old, I've been cooking. And when I told you we moved to Malibu. And, um, you know, I had the dysfunctional childhood. We had a house that was a big house and it was a a guest house and a house connected. So my sister and I lived in the guest house. We Mm -hmm. had our own kitchen. My mom didn't cook. Mm. And I learned to cook at an early age. And I was always really good at flavoring foods, seasoning food. So um, that's really what makes the difference between people's recipes, you know. Um, So I had a real talent for that, balancing flavors. I've even competed on Chopped. Oh, you and, did? Oh, yeah. I've competed. Oh, wow. tw- I com- back. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I competed on Chopped and won twice. You did? You oh, won? yeah. I won. Oh, I didn't know twice. That. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. I'm top champion. I'm proud. I'm proud of that. Yeah. And it was the flavors. It was the, it was the seasoning. And, and um, um, so I started the spice blends because I think that anyone can take plants, vegetables, and, you know, if you have a good seasoning, you know, then you can right. make them taste amazing. So yeah, I have organic, non GMO spice blends, and I'm going to, I'm going to add to the line. And yes, yeah, so I feel it was a real accomplishment. That's um, cool. Did yeah. you teach yourself how to cook or how did you learn how to do that? I pretty much taught myself. I called my grandma a couple times and said, grandma, my grandma's from Louisiana. I was like, you know, I remember the first time I was making a gumball. I was like, how do you make roux? And she told me over the phone uh-huh. and, you know, I just perfected it from then on. So I've called her over the phone. I've learned a lot, just like a lot of people do watching watching on tv you know as a kid and, yeah but yeah most of the uh, cooking is all on my own but i'm yeah. i'm not you know i'm definitely just a home cook like uh-huh. i'm not and i don't bake because that's something you really have to know what you're doing it's the science behind it yeah it's a specific thing. yeah it's not really my thing um but yeah cooking yeah i throw down you got your hands on a lot of stuff you it reminds me do you know john sally i do yeah he's like Guys all over the place. Every yeah. time I see him, he's got some new business. Oh, he's right. got the vegan wines and he's got oh, the cannabis yeah. company. And he's got, I mean, it's crazy. Like his, he has so much energy mm-hmm. and he's so passionate about so many different things. And he's has this entrepreneurial spirit and he keeps giving birth to like all these different, I mean, a lot of it's nutrition oriented, but like even other things as well. Yeah, I don't have that much going yeah. on. That's not me. <laughs> he's no, I don't have that much. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, I got the spice blends. Uh-huh. So I have Lay Lolly Lifestyle. 
Uh-huh. And then I believe in, you know, with me, I've had shakes since I was boxing. I'd have a smoothie or a shake because it was just like, okay, how can I get all this nutrition in without actually having to eat, give my body a break from breaking the food down? So after I'd go running in the morning, I'd get up, run the mountains, come back, I'd have a shake. So I'm not, after I did all that work, I'm not going to make my body work again to digest uh-huh. food. Then I'd go to sleep. Then I'd wake up and have my breakfast. And then I'd have another shake after I worked out again. So that's, I've been doing shakes so long. So even now I have a shake for breakfast because it's like, I don't want to have to think about my maca powder and my green powder, my all these things and all these nutrients. I'd rather just get it all in my shake, know I got right. it in. One thing. Yeah. And then everything else is just on top of that. So that's why, for me, that's one of the easiest ways for people who aren't currently getting the nutrition they need is like, okay, why don't you just have a shake, you know, and just make sure it's in there and then it's not so overwhelming and just make that part of your daily nutrition. So, and then just the basics like vitamins, you know, green powders. I have a Mm -hmm. a 14 day cleanse for a lot of people just need to cleanse that, that, you know, all that out that's Mm -hmm. not coming out. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the nutrition is one thing, but then the cooking is just teaching people that, you know, food doesn't have to be complicated. You know, it doesn't have to be complicated. It's just like, but we de- we definitely want to yeah. have amazing flavors when we do eat. We've, uh, we've lost our connection with cooking in so many ways. Like people are just busy, man. We li- our lives are so fast paced now that people don't learn how to cook. And, you know, then it just becomes intimidating. And you just think, well, I never learned how to do that. And I'm probably never will. And the truth is, most of it's pretty simple. Food, you learn pretty quickly. yeah. They don't, they don't know how, and they, a lot of just don't want to take the time because, like you said, it seems so overwhelming. But like literally, you know, it's like when you learn how easy it is, especially if you just want to throw something in the oven and roast. You know, you can roast some veggies on a mm-hmm. pan and season them up with a little bit of oil, and you're done. You know, it's like then they're like, oh, okay, I get it. You know, but even if for those who are aren't cooking, it's like at least when you do eat, you know, get your food some from somewhere that you know has quality food. Mm-hmm. You know, so because some people just aren't gonna stop and, and cook. Yeah, I love to cook, and I understand that food, the love that goes into cooking, the energy that goes into cooking. Like whenever you're at a restaurant, you don't know who's in the back of that kitchen cooking your food and what they're feeling, and they're mad and yeah. what's going on in their life, and they're there moving your food and giving it to you, and yeah. you're eating that energy. Like when you think about it that, yeah, and like you're out eating that. I believe in that. No, I do too. I do too. That's why like soul food, that's why that came about when all the women in the kitchen, you know, and the African-American community and they're sitting around, they're sitting there and they're the family together and you're chopping up the potatoes and you're, you know, you're peeling this and doing that. And it's like all the love that goes into that is something, you know? So, and a lot of things have changed. We don't, we don't cook as much. We don't sit around the table and eat together. We're not as healthy as we used to be. You know, all this stuff is connected. Yeah. Meanwhile, we, we can sit around and talk about, you know, maca powder and green smoothies and things like that. But the real battlefield is trying to get people uh, away from pulling into the drive-through, mm-hmm. you know? Oh, yeah. And speaking to that, you know, population of people that are suffering from diabetes and obesity and heart disease at just alarming rates, like that's, I, I feel like, you know, we need more solutions and focus on trying to provide healthy nutrition and education and affordable solutions to people who have a good argument when they say, listen, you know, I don't have time. I'm working two or three jobs and I don't have the budget. You know, I can't go get all these healthy foods. And and I, it's just, you know, I've got a kid screaming in the back. I'm just gonna, I'm pulling through the drive-through, done. I've taken care of it. Yeah, and you're talking about, um, especially in the African-American community, mm-hmm. um, which is one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about, you know, that the 
you know, educating that I do because a lot of people, it's like they don't know, they they just don't know better. They don't even realize that what they're eating a lot of times, people know obviously burgers and fries and pizza aren't healthy, but I'm talking about just even when they think they are eating something that's healthier, you know, that's processed and has all these chemicals in it. And it's not even food, it's food-like yeah. You know, and it's like somebody sitting around in an office trying to figure out what chemicals they can put in it to make you want it more mm-hmm. and be addicted to it. You know what I mean? And it's like you really want to educate people about that. And then also teach them ways that so you have people who they say it to me all the time, well, I can't afford to eat that way. You know, and it's like, okay, well, we need to figure out how we can eat. You don't have to have these, you know, um, high-end meals every night. It's like, can you, you know, even if it's rice and beans, there's Mm -hmm. a lot of nutrients in beans, you know, and it's like, I'm a meat eater, but I have reduced the amount of meat that I eat um, for multiple reasons. But when I do eat, I eat, you know, organic, you know, GMO-free, free free Mm range, you know, all the highest quality I can get. But I'm always telling people also, it's like, reduce the amount of animal foods that you eat, you know? Um, And because not everybody, you know, is ready to go vegan, you know? So it's just like, but you can get to the point where, you know, 75% of the food on your plate is plant-based food. Yeah. Uh, I mean, setting the whole vegan thing aside, you know, people, you know, meat meat began as like a delicacy side dish. And at some point we decided that that has to predominate our plates and we just eat insane amounts of meat right now. And I just think there's no question that it's contributing to a lot of the problems. I mean, certainly processed food and sugar and all, I'm, you know, I'm not dismissing any of that, but uh, I think we could all benefit from For sure. know, reducing our intake. Definitely. Yeah. I think, like I said, no matter, even if you're not a vegan or vegetarian, it's like even if you're a meat eater like me, I think that you definitely need to reduce the amount. You don't need to be eating meat every single meal. Mm-hmm. You don't need to be eating it every single day. And when you do eat it, it should be a very small portion of meat, you know, on your plate. So yeah. how's the... Uh, What does the fitness workout routine look like for you these days? I mix it up. So right now, um, I'm really liking, so I have a heavy bag. I have a home gym. Uh I usually hit the heavy bag for like four rounds, 15 minutes. um, And then I will, that's like my warm up. Yeah. Then I will get on my, (laughs) (laughs) like my warm up. And then I get, and then I get on my elliptical stairs Uh um, and, and I get on my elliptical stairs and I have a treadmill. So I might do like some, you know, high intensity training. Um, some sprinting on my my treadmill, mm-hmm. and then I have a, a infrared sauna. I like to incorporate oh, nice. that at the end of my workout. Like I'll a get clear light one, a sunlighting. Uh huh. Oh, cool. And I get in. Um, I get in there for like thirty minutes after uh, my workout. Um, but then I, you know, I might do some free weights. I like to mix it up. But I also love to run. But my knees aren't that that good. So I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, we all just are built different. So I've been told not to run, mm. but I still run. Mm-hmm. You know, and I ice my knees, and it's just like it's really hard. So like if I run, I literally. I can have not ran for two years, but I can go out there and just do four or five miles because it's yeah. just still in me. But at by the end of five miles, I'm like, oh, I'm looking like that last mile. I'm looking like, okay, when's this going to yeah. be over? And I love running around <laughs> here. Like I'll just go on Agora Road and just yeah, run straight up. You know, right, the right trails. Well, the trails at the end of Lost Virginis too, like all around. Oh yeah, I don't yeah. like running in the mountains though. You know, I'm a little funny about uh, like. You know, I, I'll take you out there. Yeah, yeah, I, go yeah. With me. Yeah, I'm like, mm, I'm good. Uh-huh. And then my husband, my husband, like, yeah, don't go out there by yourself. I've actually, yeah, no, just just period, just people out there, and you know, uh, just you just never know. And then I'm, I'm a, out I'm there. a recognizable I'm out there person all the time. Oh well, then I'd go, I'd go, come with me. I'd go. I can't run as far as you though. That's all right. We don't have to go that far. Those I call them the crazy runners. I did the New York City Triathlon. Oh, you did. 
did? Yeah, and that was crazy. When did you do that? A couple years ago? Um, I was the mom ambassador for uh-huh. Aquaphor. And um, no, this was like probably seven, six years ago. Uh-huh. Where they do it in the Hudson? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've never done a triathlon. <laughs> I've uh-huh. never done anything. So I was just like, they asked me to do it. And I was like, yeah, I'm an athlete. I can do uh-huh. it. And so they put me with this trainer, triathlon trainer. She came out here for one, two days. And she was like, okay, we're going to get on the bike. Because I've never been on a bike to uh-huh. ride. So she's like, we're going to, we ran, we rode up a girl road, 25 mm-hmm. miles. So we went 12 miles one way and then came back or something like that. And then we ran. I got off that bike and just running a mile was so hard. Just because I was just so, you know, like just all buckled over. locked yeah. up. So long story short, I ended up taking on this show, didn't train like I was supposed to. So I, I did the one bike ride with her. That one, was it? The one 25-mile bike ride. And then I was swimming in the at Calabasas Tennis Cl- Clinic uh-huh. f- for 45 minutes. I was like, I'm just going to swim for 45 minutes. I went to the open water one time to the beach. And I was so nervous about it. My friends were like, come on. So we swam to the buoys. And I was like, Take me. I was afraid of sharks. I was like, <laughs> I'm never doing that again. They were yeah. like, if you can get in this ocean, then you uh-huh. can go get in the Hudson. So I, I got. So when I got there, I was like, these people are crazy. Like they were up with their bikes at 4 a.m. Like walking to the water. It's like a like they're so serious about it. It's and a whole thing. And everyone was like, if you do it one time, you're gonna fall in love with it. And you're gonna do it again. And I was like, we'll see. So <laughs> yeah. I jumped in that Hudson, swam, did the run. Did, I mean, I did the bike, and I was afraid to switch gears. Uh-huh. Because I didn't really like the track would come you off. You literally sometimes. only rode a bike one time. I literally that. one uh-huh. one time. So it's, then you rode the triathlon in the same gear the whole time? No, I, I changed I, it was one side I was fooling with, but I wouldn't right. fool with the other side. So it was harder for me because I didn't know how to use a bike. Because <laughs> yeah. I was like, if this chain comes off, I'm gonna be on the side uh-huh. and then it's gonna be a whole thing. So I did it, but I finished in three hours and four minutes. Good for you. So I was you like, You did it. I did it. And when I came off, like when I came through with the um the finish line. It was so crazy. All of a sudden, my I blacked out. My eyes were open, but I blacked out. And no I way. told my guy that was with me, I was like, Daryl, I can't see. So he held my hand. He was like, you're so hot. I was so hot. I went to the tents where you lay down. And it, it took about 30 seconds for my vision to come back. Uh-huh. And I was just laying there for like being worked on, you know, rubbed out and all that for like an hour. And then I got up and then all of a sudden I was super hungry and they had donuts and all these things. And I was just like pigging out. And I was like, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> I was like, I'm never yeah. doing that. I almost died. You're going to fall in love. You're like, uh-uh. <laughs> uh-uh, I'm good. <laughs> I, it's, it's usually one or the other. It's either like, I can't wait to do it again, or like, I'm, I, I did it. I'm, it's over with. Oh, my God. Yeah. I look at you like- I was it's different. About, I can't punch anyone. So Yeah, but I'm like, you guys are crazy. I would never get in the ring. Like, you're running all these miles. Yeah. Like, oh, my God. Like, what makes you want to do that? Well, you lit, like, we were joking before the podcast, like, you're the first- person who lives local to me uh-huh. who's right, come right, over right. here and it's usually it's some gigantic drive out here right. and you're like yeah I'm down the oh, street right. you know oh, yeah but this is where all the beautiful tri- i mean the, the nature around here is insane like once you i li- and i lived out here for years before i got into this kind mm-hmm. of stuff and i didn't even realize it was like all going on around here until you start getting out there and exploring it i saw your interview with uh, some of your interview with lindsey vaughn and you're uh-huh. like sh- you were like come out here with me she's like it's hot yeah. out here i don't want to come out here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's uh, funny. So funny yeah you 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 have like a it, it, i was thinking about lindsey because your trajectory is somewhat similar like retiring from this sport you know, having a certain level of like fame and notoriety and success and like trying to now translate your unique life experience into, you know, this wellness channel where you can be like, a, you know, a mentor and, and somebody who, who can provide, you know, products to support people. So she's done a pretty cool, you know, she, she's doing cool things with that. Oh, that's great. I think that, um, 
you know, and there's going to be those who've done it and that's not their passion. You know, mm -hmm. I just really believe in following your passion and I truly am passionate about, and I, you know, we all have a different audience, right, mm -hmm. of people and different levels of health and wellness that people are on. I like to really get those people who are just like, I'm healthy. I only drink clear soda. Right. You know, we got that. I remember the first time I heard that, I'm like, what? Clear like, soda. You just so, so, you know, because like, well, I don't drink the dark soda. I was right. like, okay. You know, um, so I, though, because I can really speak to them in a way that they understand is not over their head. Right. You know, so that is one thing because I'm not over the top. Like, I'll still go get a glazed donut. There's a place called Blinkies in Woodland Hills. Uh -huh. They got the best donuts ever. Place. Oh my God. <laughs> now, look. Uh -huh. I'm telling you, I'm that girl. Like I understand health and wellness, and I understand that the fried donut and the refined sugar is not good for me. But guess what? If I love it that much, I'm gonna live my life, and I'm gonna have one every once in a while because I'm stronger than that's gonna kill me having it that one time. But I'm not gonna go do that every day, you know. So it's like I can really relate to people because like I have that person living inside me that's right. still like I just want to go to Popeyes and get some fried chicken, but I'm not because. That's not high quality chicken, right. you know, all the kind of different things. But I, I still crave some of those things is what I'm saying. So I can relate to those individuals. Yeah. And then you're relatable to the to those people. Yeah, exactly. You know? Exactly. So kind of like your conversation with the guy in the airplane, like what is when you when you're when you're confronted with somebody like that, like what do you what do you say so that you keep it grounded and relatable and not over their head? First of all, that I it's okay, I understand. You know, because a lot of times people are ashamed. But first of all, they're they're not even comfortable in their own skin. I mean, he had to get one of those um, what do you call them, like belt Walker. extenders. Oh yeah, you know, it's too like big uncomfortable. For the seat. Yeah. yeah, and just just to take the time to listen to someone, people people wouldn't even think me as Layla Ali would sit there and talk to you for five hours. You know, so it was like just to know that someone cares um, and that I'm not judging you. That's one thing. And but let's try to figure out how we can um, make a change here. You know, and, and everything that you have tried before hasn't worked. Okay, let's do this a little differently. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times it's just like the comfort and the the whole emotional thing behind the eating in the first place is there. You know, this this person's not as strong as me where they can just say, I'm just not gonna do it. Boom. You know what I mean? Because of whatever it is they're dealing with that I can't relate to. Um, but I do know that what really has worked well is just what can we add opposed to what we need to take away, uh -huh. you know, and you got to take baby steps, baby steps in the right direction. So, and I told him, I was like, yeah, reach out to me and let me know how you're doing. He never did. He but didn't? No, he never did. He might've lost He must have been thrilled to be sitting next to you though. He was so cool. I mean, he didn't act like he was like, oh my God, you know, he right. kind of was just kind of down on himself, but we had this whole conversation, but he felt good by the end of the conversation. Uh -huh. And I, I see a little spark in his eyes. Like, yeah, I think I can do that. I think I can go get a medium yeah. fry and of a large fry. So I said, okay. Yeah. You know, but I just appreciate that he was honest with me about what he was going to go get. Mm -hmm. You know, so I was, I had hope, I had hope for him, you know. Well, the follow up is, is the tough thing. It's like, he's probably thinking, I should reach out to her, but then, ah, she doesn't really want to hear, you know, like there, there's a self defeating narrative that takes over that or he prevents might, him yeah. from Or he might be like me and just lost my information because I do it uh -huh. all the time. People give I, me something. I, he, no, I doubt that. <laughs> I, do, I doubt like, he damn. lost your information. <laughs> um, and how does that work with trying to get somebody active for the first time, same, you know, small chunks kind of advice? Yeah, I mean, it depends on the situation because a lot of people that I'm dealing with, I can't touch them and reach out to them and, you know, work with them individually. But it's really, I really encourage people to get with a partner or get with a friend, get mm -hmm. with someone who you guys can hold each other accountable because that's what we need. We need to be held accountable because when it's just yourself, sometimes you're like, oh, I'm not getting out of bed and nobody's going to know. 
But yeah. if you have a friend, you're like, okay, I want to be there for her, you know, or I want to, I don't, you know, I want to have her back. So just being accountable, taking small steps. We just have this all or nothing attitude, right. you know, and we have this, I want to lose this much weight by this much time. It's like, just make progress each week. Try, try mm-hmm. to go and, and account for some, step, some setbacks. Well, change know? changing habits that you can then sustain because mm-hmm. it's about changing your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. It's not about some goal with exactly. an end date. It's exactly. about behavioral change that you can live with for the rest of your life. Well, I tell people even, because I did a 14 day cleanse um, as part of my pro, um, product. And yeah, you lose some weight, but you know, there's those people who just want to lose weight. Well, I'm going on this vacation. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, whatever. It's a business. If you're that person and that's how, why you want to do the cleanse, it's still good that you did a cleanse. But I always encourage people, after you're done with the cleanse, you need to go on to the meal planning guide that I've provided. Because if you want to maintain those results, you know, then that's what you need to do because it's a lifestyle change. Mm-hmm. It's like, don't go, you know, cleanse and then just go put the same old crap back in your body and all right. that type of thing. So if you really want to be on this journey and that's what my whole, like I said, platform and website is about, then you need to start thinking differently about how you go into it and then your purpose. Because again, we all, a lot of people have had health scares and that's when they're like, oh, I want to change my life. And that's fine. I'm not going to judge you. I'm glad you're finally ready. But, um, you know, it has to be a lifestyle change, you know, because yeah. for me, what inspires me is not to be a certain size. Yeah, I like to look good. Yeah, I like to feel fit. I don't like extra fat on my body. That's one thing that bothers me because I know, I understand that it's probably also wrapped around your organs and it's extra weight and it's just, I'm not at my best. And I know what it feels like to be at my best. So that's what I'm always chasing, yeah. right? Um, but at the same time, what was I going to say? Um, I lost my thought. Not being, uh, not being, knowing what it's like to be at your best, no, you know, ha- being connected to that feeling and uh, yeah, not totally. being perfect. That's the matter. boxer, you know, Whatever. I'm a little, yeah. a little punchy sometimes. <laughs> I thought you never got punched. That you sucker just, just you went. Just, no, you just I was, doled out the beating. No, I was sparring with men. Yeah, I was taking a right. beating in the gym. That's why the that's why the fights were easy. But that happens sometimes. Do you worry sometimes. about that? Do, do you I'm, worry about like TBI or anything? I don't that worry, but I, I literally just lost my train of thought. Right. So it's like I I always think, yeah, that has something to do. It has affected me because my memory sometimes like mm-hmm. would be. I've I've ran into. People that are like, "Hey, Layla," and I'm like, "You look familiar." Like, "Oh God, I know." I need yeah, to know but this you person. probably meet it. No, but this can be a person that literally was like, "We went to high school together. Like, right. we hung out together, like uh-huh. on a daily basis." And I'm like, "I really don't." <laughs> Which high I'm school? Just, yeah, and I'm just like, "Damn!" And then it might come to me later. Oh yeah, but mm. I'm like, "How could I not remember that?" Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, philanthropy, like giving back, service. You know, these are these are big. Th- these were big things with your dad, and and you know, you do a lot of that as well. So, how does like your dad's example inform like how you think about giving back? It comes natural to me. I naturally want to give. Um, I, I naturally want to help people. Um, I have certain organizations that I work with. Um, I love working with Feeding America. I have a friend who has a- You've been a, doing that for a long time, right? Uh-huh, yeah. yeah. I have a friend that has an organization called Peace for Kids, which is smaller. It's here in LA and it's for um, kids in, in homes. Um, so I'll I'll donate a lot of times there and go go down into, into Compton and, and work with them. And, um, you know, so I get involved with organizations that I'm really- feel like I can get behind. I was, uh-huh. I've been involved with the Women's Sports Foundation for many years, just empowering girls and women through sports. So, because there's just so many causes. Um, but 
most of what I do is just trying to give back through, like a lot of what I want to do with Lee Lolly Spice Blends is donate a portion of the proceeds to various different organizations. Um, so, because I believe that that's what we're all supposed to do. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's just like, in, in it, whether it's giving up your time or your money or whatever the, the it may be, like giving back in yeah. some sort of way. And you have two kids, parent, mm-hmm. right? So how do you how do you instill in your children like this ethos that your dad represented and that you're, you know, exuding in your own life? Like how, what are, what are the techniques like by which you're raising these kids to try to ensure that they're healthy and happy and, and, you know, care about these things that your dad cared about and that you care about? I'm figuring it out along the way. Yeah. How old are um, your kids? My, my son is 10 and my daughter's eight. Mm-hmm. And, um, I do a lot I let my my spirit guide me a lot, my intuition guide me. So I I, I have my general idea of what I want to do, but it's not like a set plan. Mm-hmm. So because like my son, you never know what you're gonna get with your kids, you know. Yeah. And he's so like you would think I would think he was gonna be like this strong, tough kind of boy, and he's got he's got the kindest, sweetest heart, and uh-huh. he's just like Tim, like Bleh. he's like, uh. you know, he's just like. <laughs> And I'm like, uh-huh. man, my son, but he's strong. He's a leader, but he's a gentle, kind leader. But he's got the sweetest heart. And I worry about him like, oh, God, you know, he's just so gentle and kind and sweet. I just wish he was a little stronger. But he is who he is. He doesn't belong to me. He came to this world through mm-hmm. me. And my daughter is like this little feisty. She's like just like me. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, oh, man, I got my hands full with her. So it's like they know who their grandfather is. And they really got a real piece of it when we went out to Louisville when he passed away. And we went and they saw, you know, the processional and all right. the people in the streets. And they're old and, enough to remember yeah, that. Yeah. And they were very overwhelmed by it. Yeah. Like, oh, my God. Because they didn't realize the magnitude um, so they have a lot of pride. There's certain things, like I didn't take them to see the Ali movie um, because I knew there's things in there that I'm not ready to explain to them yet. Mm-hmm. Like my kids, obviously, is when, you, when you're a parent, you're black and you have kids, we have to raise our kids differently because it's, it's like in the way, the best way I can explain it is, it's like, you know, as a parent, you think, okay, when am I going to teach my kids about sex? Mm-hmm. And when am I going to teach my kids? We have to think, when are we going to teach our kids about how the world is going to be unfair to them and you're going to have to work harder and, you know, all these things. Like, how do you tell your kids that? And how do you, what is the best age to tell them? For me, my struggle is, what is the best age to tell them how things are and how people think of them and how they're not thought of as equal without them not feeling that way, mm-hmm. without them feeling, well, why is that? It must be true because these are kids, right? So yeah. like even with slavery, when you learn about that in school, it does something to you. Because you see these pictures of slaves and chains and you're that. And you're like, well, are we less, you know, or are we inferior? Well, why? Well, why this and why that? And you don't understand, well, why did God let this happen? And, you know, there's all these things that go on inside of you. So for my kids, I'm trying to figure out, like, what is going to be the best age for that where they can still mm-hmm. stay strong mm-hmm. um, without it chipping away at them like it mm-hmm. does all of us. Yeah. So I didn't want them to see that because if they saw a lot of his story, then they have to, I have to deal with all that as well. So I'm waiting to find that balance. And I'm kind of... Um, but at the same time, you don't want them to experience something for the first time and learn it from someone else than what you taught them. Right, you want to be able to shepherd them through that. Yeah. I mean, so. you know, at some point, I mean, it's all, everything's online. Like they can just spend, you know, forever. They're not looking I, for it though. No, but at some yeah. point, you know, it's all there. And they well, I tell destroy. them certain things. Like for example, I'll say, well, some people are mean, you know, and they don't like certain people because of the color of their skin mm-hmm. or whatever. And, you know, and like they always say to me, cause we live around here. Well, my daughter's like, how come everyone's vanilla? 
Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. She's like, or if I take her to go play soccer, she's pretty white out. Yeah, here. yeah, yeah. Really. Yeah. So she was like, really. And I said, well, you know what? We live in an area where there's a lot of vanilla people. I said, sometimes you go places and there's a lot of Mexican people or a lot of Asian people, and this is just where we live. And then you go places a lot of chocolate people. Mm-hmm. So she was just like, oh, okay. And then like when we go sign up for sports, she walks up and she's like, all the girls are vanilla. I'm like, it's okay. Vanilla. They're not, yeah, to her it's vanilla. And I'm like, I didn't want to correct her. So I'm like, okay, you know, that's how uh-huh. she sees it. So it's just like, she's starting she to- call herself chocolate? Then? Yeah, she's yeah. like chocolate. So uh-huh. she's, she understood. Well, I think that has changed just now because now I've heard her actually say white and black. You know, they start mm-hmm. learning from other people. But um, that was like a couple years ago. But it was so cute to me. There's just so, you know, but, it, but if that was me as a parent- her first thought and her first time talking about it, how I respond to it and what I say is what was going to stick with her. Yeah. So I just said, that's just, so then I just, she just let it go. Like, oh, okay. I said, it just depends. D- different people live in different areas and it's fine. And they're, yeah. they're nice girls. It doesn't matter. Mm. You know, she's like, okay. Mm-hmm. You know, so. Yeah, that's a lot to shoulder. Yeah. But I mean, mm-hmm. it is what it is. So it's like, mm-hmm. I believe everything happens for a reason. And just like when we talked about my father and him not necessarily always being there for me because what he was doing, it's like, I kind of like, okay, we'll all get the answers to this at some point, why things are the way they are and why history has happened the way that it did. And, you know, we don't always see the end of the tunnel, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's when you have that faith in knowing, then you just got to roll with it, you know? So what do you think other than just his innate, you know, humanness, like what do you think people miss or don't understand about your dad? Huh, miss, I don't know, um, in terms of, because so many people. Well, life is so much more complicated and nuanced than what you see, you know, in a documentary or in a news clip. Right? He was so that person, though. Like, that's yeah. the thing about my dad, I would say. Um, he, that's really who he he was, um, what you saw. Um, you know, my father, what we miss, and people who know him miss, is just his energy in terms of just, he, even with his Parkinson's and he didn't, he didn't talk anymore. He just had this strong energy and this love, you know, and that's what I've seen so many people who would just come around him and all of a sudden just start crying. And it's the end. They didn't right. even know why. Like a guru. Yes. Like, he just, like somebody, I mean, yeah. who could walk into a room and the entire room is transformed just by his presence. And that's just something special yeah. about that, you know? So that's that's what I, you know, just I kind of always used to hug him and just put my, my face up against his and the way he smelled and soft hair. He was just like a big old sweet baby to me. Mm-hmm. So like, that's what I miss about him. Um, but I think that a lot of people just miss this, that, you know, you see someone that great and wonderful that they respect and looked up so much to, and now he's gone. So it's like, we're watching history unfold in front of us it's like dang there's never going to be another muhammad ali so it's sad to let that go because people are just different now you know and people want more of that and when i think about why my dad was so great and amazing um and why people are just like wow it's just like he just believed in himself he was a little boy from louisville kentucky that thought he was the greatest and put his all into everything and loved himself it's like we i wish we could just all be more like that right. we all can be like muhammad ali and he stood up for what he believed in he did what was right these are basic things that we all put on a pedestal because we can't do it ourselves a lot of the time so it's just like man you know it just really shaped the way that i see people and i view the world you know and it's just like he didn't have an entourage of people around him. He didn't go around flaunting his money, you know, or put anybody down or step on anybody to, you know, make himself look better. He just was a real person, you know, yeah. a real guy that loved people. Well, it definitely wasn't about money. No. You know. He understood. I mean, everybody wants to have nice things, mm-hmm. you know, but it wasn't like 
he, um, tr- trust me, my mom has told me stories of us being bankrupt a couple times from him giving his money away, mm-hmm. writing blank checks. He'd do stupid <laughs> stuff like that. He was like a kid, like when uh-huh. it came to certain things, he said, write his here, you know, and write a blank check. Like he was really gullible and naive when it came to, that's why I said we're so different yeah. with certain things, but he was just like a big kid. But um, yeah, it was, it, he, he understood that having money also, having the Rolex and the, the, the Rolls Royce would get people to listen. When you're talking about the African-American mm. community, mm-hmm. because people are attracted to those things. How did you get what you have? You know, I want that too. And then they yeah. would listen. So The ability to say what you mean, do it in a very poetic, compelling, charismatic way. Um, and just the honesty of it, you know, I think, you know, it's, it, it is really, the more I think about it, it really, you know, everything that he kind of did with the exception of being the greatest boxer uh, are things that we can do and learn from and incorporate into our own lives. Yeah. I mean, like I said, there's, there's only going to be one Muhammad Ali, but a lot of those things we can do. We can incorporate into our own lives. And I think that a lot of people have. I hear stories all the time. I mean, you can imagine all the Muhammad Ali stories I've heard growing up. <laughs> you must be like, oh, please. I get emails to my business. I'm yeah. like, that's when you asked in the very beginning, yeah. when you were like, there's got to be some things that you love and you wish uh, could just, uh, like, yeah, the things that I wish that I could, that could just go away. People telling you their account. Stop sending with your me. Dad. Yeah, yeah, stop sending me. <laughs> Like, like uh, it's great. I mean, I don't want to sound mean, but I get uh-huh. everything that anyone creates uh, that, you know, uh, oh, it's for your, f- I just want to show you this, this painting that I drew. Okay. Thank right. you. It's nice. I've seen a million of them. It's beautiful. <laughs> and then it's like, I was, be- uh-huh. I've been trying to get this to your dad for years, but I haven't been able to, can you help uh-huh. me? You know, it's like anything overflow. Conduit. Yeah. And I'm right. just like, I can't help you. <laughs> or I want to start this line of t-shirts. Like, can you uh-huh. approve it for him? Oh, that's the thing. Like they think I can approve. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't have his name and like, I can't approve. So it just creates extra work on my end and for my folks, you know, but yeah. it's just like, that's just part of it comes with it as a small price to pay. Right. You know, I'm just like, <laughs> but that's the thing. That's the only thing <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. that is annoying about being Muhammad Ali's daughter to that's me. So it's just funny. that kind of stuff. Like really? <laughs> so. All right. Well, let's land this plane. Um, I, I think a good way to kind of close this is just, you know, final part parting words to the person who's listening out there who who feels stuck you know maybe it's that guy on the airplane or you know somebody who's just you know on a path that isn't serving them um, they're not eating right they're not taking care of themselves they're not fulfilled in their job like what is the you know advice or the wisdom or the inspiration that you can impart to that person to maybe help them like you know look at things a little bit differently that's a big question i know solve that. I know, know, right? I'm like, dang. The world opens up to you. (laughs) You know, I just really like to keep it simple. And the thing is, is that God only created one of you. And I believe God doesn't make mistakes. And if you don't believe in God, you try to know there's only one of you on this planet, regardless of how you got here. Okay. There's only one. And you have one life to live. It's your life, nobody else's, you know? So it's just like really about figuring out, you know, what your purpose is. And that can take a whole life lifetime. And just trying to be on the quest to be the best version of yourself. That's it. And that's very vague, right? It's very vague. It's like whether it's nutrition or mindset or whatever it is and your relationships or your finances or whatever, finding that balance, just being on the quest. So I believe in just surrounding yourself with like-minded people, people who are on that same quest as you, the tools that you need. Once you do that, you know, 
because like it can be overwhelming, but once you find these podcasts that you want to listen to, or these books, or these certain friends, or these people that are eating a certain way, or that you know are exercising a certain way, or whatever it is, just surround yourself with the right people, and you will start to see changes happen. That's the most important thing. You don't have to do anything else other than that, but remind your, surround yourself with the people and the tools that you need, and just make them a part of your daily life. Because mm-hmm. guess what? If you keep making that other bullshit a part of your daily life, that's how your life is going to unfold that way. It's just the way that it is, right? So it's like, that's pretty much it, you know, because it's like you're, you are going to be the company you keep. You are going to be the things that you surround yourself with. You are going to be the food that you eat. So just start thinking, okay, how can I start to change these things around me, this circle around me, and start making it look like the way that I want to be or the life that I want to have? And then you're going to be able to pull from those things. Even without a real plan other than just surrounding yourself with it, things are going to start to happen because mm-hmm. those friends are going to say certain things to you. They're going to they're going to encourage you. They're going to um, you know, challenge you. And those foods that you eat or those things, they're going to start giving you the nutrition that you need, the podcast that you hear. One day, we might just hear one person say one thing that is going to stick with you. You know what I'm saying? And it's going to lead yeah. to something else. So it's like, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Raise the vibe across the board. Yeah, just raise that vibe, All baby. Right. Preach it, girl. <laughs> um, awesome. Thank you. Thank you. So nice to talk to you. Uh, I loved it. And if you want to connect with Layla, the best way to do that, LaylaAli.com, right? And you're the real Layla. What's the- I am the real I am Layla, Layla Ali. Yeah, Ali. Because there were All other the Layla Alis. Channels. Really? Yes. How is that? I know, it's crazy. It's an Arabic name. So there was a lot of other right. uh, Layla Ali. So I had to make mine the real. Otherwise, I've right. just been Layla Ali. All right. Well, you are the real one. So uh, <laughs> good talking to you. Thank you. Thank Come you. back and Thanks talk to me again me sometimes. For sure. Peace. Love it. So that was me and Layla. What'd you guys think? Did you enjoy that? I really enjoyed her. She was delightful. For more on Layla, please check out the show notes on the episode page at richroll.com and let her know how this one landed for you by sharing your thoughts with her directly on Twitter and Instagram at the real Layla Ali. Also, check out LaylaAli.com to catch up on the many things that she's involved in, her cookbooks, spice blends, TV appearances, and a bunch of other stuff. If you are struggling with your diet, if you're finally committed to mastering your plate once and for all, but feel like I don't have that much skill in the kitchen, I don't have a lot of available time, my budget is pretty tight, I cannot stress enough how much I think our Plant Power Meal Planner can help. It was devised with one goal in mind, to make healthy and delicious eating affordable and accessible for everybody. It really is an extraordinary product. We worked very hard to create and it's available to you for just $1.90 a week when you sign up for a year. Go to meals.richroll.com and there you will find access to thousands of constantly updated, delicious and easy to prepare plant-based recipes. It's all totally customized based on your personal preferences. We have unlimited grocery lists, grocery delivery in most metropolitan areas and an incredible team of nutrition coaches at the ready to guide you and answer all your questions seven days a week. Again, $1.90 a week, literally the price of a cup of coffee. So to learn more and sign up, go to meals.richroll.com or click on Meal Planner on the top menu on my website. If you'd like to support the work we do here on the show, subscribe, rate, and comment on the program on Apple Podcasts. That really helps new people discover the show. Tell your friends about your favorite episode, share it on social media, subscribe to my YouTube channel, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and you can support us on Patreon at richroll.com forward slash donate. 
I appreciate my incredible team that helps me put on this show day in and day out. Jason Camiolo for audio engineering, production, show notes, interstitial music. Thank you. Blake Curtis and Margot Lubin. They're the team that videos the show and puts it up on YouTube. They do a great job. Jessica Miranda for her graphics wizardry. Allie Rogers for her beautiful portraits. DK David Kahn makes this whole ship sail through his advertiser relationships and theme music, as always, by Analemma, which is essentially my sons, Tyler Trapper and my nephew, Harry. Thanks for the love, you guys. See you back here in a couple days with the return of Ryan Holiday. He's coming by to talk about his latest book, Stillness is the Key. Here's a taste. Until then, believe in yourself. Keep fighting for you. Peace, plants, namaste. What I try to do in the books is apply ancient wisdom to life in a practical way. And I think the idea of stillness, that concept of stillness, it struck me as like when you remove ego, stillness emerges you need stillness to overcome these kinds of obstacles. So it was sort of, it's sort of the glue that went unsaid in the other books. And I just kept coming back to this idea. And when you look at really great people, whether they're athletes or generals or just like a wise person that you met or your grandfather, what they all seem to have is that operating on a different plane. And what's interesting is that basically, and this is what inspired the book, is that like, Basically, any and all of the ancient schools talk about that idea, that concept of stillness in their own way as the sort of the end goal of what we're doing.